Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. Hi everyone, welcome back to, the... that's way too high isn't it? I go inside, my mm-hmm. voice is so high. Should we do that again? Go for it mate, one more go. Hello. Hi everyone, welcome once again to the Hooked On Podcast. I'm Rob McNichol. Joining me as ever is my friend and my colleague, showbiz Paul Benson. Hey then, Paul. Hey Rob, I'm good, thank you. Very well. Two weeks in a row now for me, this. Oh, Unprecedented. Not bad at all. And you sounded a little bit better this week, my friend. It was all a little bit gravelly and scratchy last week, but uh, you've come oh. roaring back. Mate, I was... Apologies to everyone um, who had to sit through me yesterday. Uh, last week, sorry. I was sat on my sofa where I am now feeling extremely sorry for myself and it's only because I didn't want to let you down that we uh, that I dragged myself out of my out of, from death's door and uh, and podcasted up but yeah 100% again this week you actually got better as it went along last week not in terms of content it was, that was still the same old shit but it was the, um, the your, your voice <laughs> your voice improved as you went so that was a minor well, blessing yeah I felt remarkable sort of about halfway through the podcast I suddenly seemed to feel remarkably better um, but hey ho, you know, we'll see if we can keep consistency this week. Yes, indeed. What you say about that? I'm, I'm interested to see how this week's podcast goes. Um, I may have listened. I may have said this to you before, uh, listeners. But one of the reasons this podcast started was that um, Paul and me would find that each week, you know, we'd spend some time on the phone talking about wrestling and talking about what was going on, and then we sort of went, actually, some of this might be actually interesting to other people, maybe we should do a podcast, and along with other reasons, because for uh, promoting the Hooked On brand being another one, but um, yeah, essentially one of the reasons this podcast exists is just because we felt we might as well broadcast our conversations. As the strange thing goes, this is currently Sunday night that we're uh, recording this, um, the uh, the 1st of October, um, we have barely spoken this week about wrestling. We've talked about other things, and we've texted, and uh, as we do, but I don't think any person. You sent me a text during Monday, saying that you were you were enjoying No Mercy to the point that you'd watched it. But other than that, we have barely spoken about the pay per view. So I genuinely don't know your emotions about it. Um, I have a few thoughts about certain matches as we as we go. Um, how do how do you want to approach this? Do you want to go match by match? Do you want to go into the main events? Do you want to talk overall? Because I'm genuinely fascinated to know if we're going to agree or disagree on matters. I think it'd be very interesting to go match by match chronologically on this one because I think it's important based on um, how the card played out. So let's let's start at the start, shall we? Okay, well we don't we don't actually do this very often, so it's maybe a welcome change because uh, it is not our typical manner to just um, go through. So we're not going to break down every match and its quality and its uh, its decisions on booking and so forth. But um, I thought it was a uh, an interesting way to start. Um, the fact that um, you know the Miz and Jason Jordan are both at a strange crossroads in their in, in their path at the moment, and I thought it was a I thought it was a tough position 
for Jason Jordan to um, to be put in at the start of the show. What did you think? I thought it was... Yeah, I agree. I think the opening match um, has become kind of Miz's speciality, hasn't it? Um, it's a, you know People really underestimate the importance of that slot on the card, and maybe not so much now. But it's a real, you know, outside of the main event and the semi-main event, it's the most important match on the show. It sets the tone, it gets the audience into the pay-per-view. Um, it's hugely important. And Miz has become, like I say, something of a master at it. Really good at either showing his arse and taking the defeat to the babyface, or gearing the crowd up, riling them up so that they want to see, you know, justice done on the face side later in a card. Jason Jordan, however, just isn't in a position to to be in my opinion to be to be the foil yet I don't know what they're planning with this whole Angle Sun storyline but it has not remotely caught on if what they're going for is is him being a face I don't think it is but if that's where they're going it's just been it's just been dull boring and almost ignored um, Miz winning this was almost a foregone conclusion it's just a shame kayfabe wise that they had to you know, make him look quite so weak. I think he should have been maybe made to look a bit better against Jordan myself. What do you think? Do you prefer to stand up or sit down when you go to football? Um, to be honest, mate, I've never stood up at a football match, so I guess it'd be sit down. Okay. Jason Jordan is an all-seater stadium. And I'll tell you what I mean by this. A lot of people prefer to stand up when they go to football. They like to stand on the terrace and watch football. Some places you can only have seats. So what happens is people pay for a seat and then they stand in front of their seat, which is far, far more dangerous than actually standing in a terrace. What you should do is yep. sit in your seat. But people don't want to sit in their seats, so they sort of do a little mini protest by standing in front of the seats and it makes it much more difficult. That's why we're having conversations about bringing in safe standing, because people have started to realise that rather than forcing people to sit down, which they don't really want to, or forcing them into um, um, standing paddocks, which is dangerous, people won't actually just listen and do as they're told. So we're trying to find an alternative. People, mm-hmm. people have stopped doing what they're told as wrestling fans. And this is the whole John Cena arc. It's the whole Roman Reigns arc. It's the whole Braun Strowman arc. We've looked at it. We've talked about it ad nauseum. Jason Jordan is a prime example of someone that I think fans generally would like. I think he's athletic. I think he's got a good look. He's not a great talker. But I think he's interesting enough in the ring. American Alpha were a fantastic team that people would love to watch, that were really getting behind. But what's happened is the WWE have gone okay we want to get this gentleman over we're going to put him with Kurt Angle we're going to make a convoluted storyline about him being his son and then we're going to push it that way and the fans have gone nope we, we, he, yeah. d- despite the fact that, that he may or may not be any good or his position on the card you know, may or may not be fair people have just folded their arms and gone I don't want to be done with this and it's like well why don't you just join in why don't you just try and sw- nope and, it's like, well, I, and I think no, no one's correct here the company aren't right in trying to force something that's not really organic, but I'm, I wish fans would just accept people a bit more and go, OK, let's go along with the ride, because they often get things wrong. You know, fans chanted, die, Rocky, die, and didn't think he was any good before he became one of the top three or four acts of all time and the biggest star in Hollywood. So the fans are often wrong, you know. And it's, I wish mm. they would just go, OK, we'll give the guy a chance. We liked Kurt Angle. Um, this guy's got some potential. He's meant to be a babyface. Let's go with it for a little bit. But no, we have to boo him. We have to be awkward. We have to be different. And we can't like the man. And and they'll... So what? The, in response, the Miz is now getting cheered because he's doing such a good job. And it's so arse about face because 
Okay, boo Jordan because he's a crap baby face and he's been forced down your throat. Fine, that's okay. If you want to do that, do that. I understand why. Don't cheer The Miz. The Miz is such a good heel and doing such a good job. Don't cheer him. If you think he's doing a good job, boo the man. And that's what re- that really, really, really frustrates me to wrestling fans. That they will insist on saying, I really like him. Hooray! Well, actually, he doesn't want you to go hooray. He wants booze. That's his job. And it's like you can yep. you can privately talk to your mates and go, oh, he's fantastic. But when you go to an arena, boo the guy and show your respect well, that way. Uh, you know, I realistically, I completely agree with you. But just to play devil's advocate, you know, this is a phenomenon that's been going on a long time. You know, Kevin Owens being a prime example of a guy that's just cheered because fans like the guy. Miz seemed like that the last bastion of being of, a, of being a proper heel. So my sort of flip opinion on that is that if you're if you've put uh, a situation in place where even the Miz is being cheered, then you've done something significantly wrong because the Miz never gets cheers because he's so bloody good at being the heel that he is. Now, I was a massive American Alpha fan, and I think there's a lot of this is a backlash against breaking that team up way way too prematurely they did nothing on the main roster considering what they were in NXT and how they gelled together they could have been such a formidable team um, imagine the New Day Usos incredible feud that's going on now on Smackdown if you'd have interjected American Alpha into that to make it somewhat of a three way you'd be looking at something along the quality of the, the, the you know the Edge and Christian Dudley's Hardy's feud um, and they just didn't they just absolutely dropped the ball on it and I think a lot of it is to do with that backlash personally fair dues um, I'll give you that I, I think a lot of the blame does rely does, does sit with the um, it does sit with WWE or Vince or whoever it is with their frankly, frankly backward insistence on trying to do things in a certain manner where um, I'm surprised because they like to talk themselves up about just how organic they can be, you know, in terms of listening to reactions and how they can, you know, spot who's you know, getting cheers and who isn't and, and roll with it and, and change how they're going and, and all that. And there have been times you go back and look at some some old footage and you, you realise just how hard certain people were pushed at certain times. And then they go, oh, oh that's not working. And they take a step back. I, I'm thinking heel Rikishi. You know how big yeah. how big he was getting pushed yeah, yeah. for a time. I'm thinking um, Bulldog when he came back in his um, in his jeans when he was that, fear, that period when he was wrestling in jeans when he first came back as a heel. Um, you know various other times where they've gone. What and Billy Gunn when they try to push him as a singles. There's been loads of times where they've gone right. We're going to push this guy really strong and, it's, and they've gone. Ah, oh, it's not really worked. Now I'm talking at a certain era where they had the fallback of going back to your Austins and your Triple H's and, and whatever. So they had a lot more of a fallback. Not so quite so easy when it's uh, when it's Roman Reigns that you're trying to do it with. But I just think that when it's lower down, you have more of a chance. If Jason Jordan is the guy that you want to get over, the way that, say, they decide they want to get Big Cass over, um, doing things as a team and then splitting up... Listen, the Big Cass-Enzo thing just didn't, didn't work for whatever reason, but... It's not necessarily a, that's not necessarily a failure of the system, because that that whole of you know build up a tag team and have the have one turn on the other has worked for years and years and years. The problem is that when Big Cass turned on Enzo, people were getting fed up of Enzo, and they didn't really yeah. know how to cheer Cass or boo Cass. Whereas if you'd have built Alpha to the moon 
and had Alpha being the most popular team in the company, and then had Chad Gable drop Jason Jordan. You know, suddenly Jason Jordan's Different a story. big time singles babyface, and he can wipe Absolutely. the floor with Gable, and then you're off. And it's like if you want to do it that yeah. way, that it's a, it's a we want to miss out the bits in between. It's like if you um if you meet a girl and you get on with her a couple of times and you think oh she's one for the future, you still don't ask her to marry you after three weeks, even if you think it's going to last forever because she's going to just going to frighten the hell out of her. You need to have the foundations and you need to build your way up. And they seem to want to go oh Jason Jordan's brilliant. Uh, uh let's make him a main eventer and give him Kurt Angle. And it's like whoa chill out. Give him some wins for two years. Build the guy up. And it's they don't seem to want to do any foreplay anymore. It's just straight to the main event. It's it is, and it's a huge problem. I, I, it's a probably too big a subject to get sidetracked on here. But to to sum it up, WWE want the moments, but they're not willing to put in the work to make those to make those moments what they are. It's it's a fundamental problem, and I don't understand how they've got that problem because there's you know they've previously had years of being so good at storytellers, but they've for whatever reason decided. Or, or, sorry, should I say, not realise that it's the investment in time that makes those moments so resonate, uh, resonate so well. They've just stopped that investment and they just go with the moments and they wonder why they're not getting the reactions. Um, and to me, that sums up the entire problem with their business at the minute. If that's what they're going to go for, just going for moments, nobody can get invested in the product. Nobody can get invested in their talent. And therefore, people don't care. So what you're talking about is something that can fundamentally cripple the business in time unless they change what they're doing. Um, That said, talking about this match in isolation, I really enjoyed it. What about yourself? I thought it was was okay. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I enjoyed the action. Um, (laughs) I don't want to start this podcast on too much of a ranty downer. But there are times where I think... um, certain things get you at certain times here's a good example from real life my football team as many of you know out there Plymouth Argyle we're bottom of the league at the moment and I work for the football club on a daily basis it's my day job and we always notice that when things are going badly on the pitch suddenly everything else is a problem so there's there's more people that will complain about queue sizes at the refreshment areas on a match day and there's more people that will complain about um, how the the side of the stand could do with a lick of paint or there's people that complain about signs being out of date or there's people that do you know what I mean I'm not saying none of those yeah. things are insignificant clearly they should be dealt with but when you're winning you sort of get away with things and when you're not suddenly everyone wants to criticise everything um, and I think there's a there's a little bit of that with me here is that where other things are annoying me in wrestling and I'm, the, the general direction is not necessarily keeping me upbeat at the moment I then find other things start to annoy me. So the little things like the the Jason Jordan issues that we've just talked about and the Reigns and Cena issues, which we'll get to, um, I then pick up on things like, it bothers me that they've dropped Elias Sampson's surname. Because I've I've always thought that makes wrestling look stupid when you refer to someone by one name. Now, like, for example, I'll use football as an example, and, and I'm not talking about Brazilians like Pele or something. But if you just referred to Wayne as opposed to Wayne Rooney, it would sound <laughs> absolutely stupid. And I've just realised that Deli Alley is trying to do that exact thing. But it's generally speaking, in a sport, you wouldn't go. And in lane three, Usain. It's yeah, like, I know. Say Usain Bolt. 
And it's like, so in boxing, you say, you know, whoever, you say someone's name. And in UFC, you say someone's name. And occasionally, they get a nickname along the way, and you call them something different. But no one is just called Bill. And it's just, it, it seems really weird. I sort of understand it with surnames, because sometimes saying Batista, maybe that yeah. does sound cooler than Dave Batista. Different maybe, story, maybe. I think. Maybe. It didn't work with Lastly. And it's, it especially doesn't work, I think, when you give someone a full name, then you drop part of it. Because to me, it's still Antonio Cesaro. Because that's the guy's <laughs> name. And it's the weird thing of you've got Seamus and Cesaro, and one has a surname and one has a first name, but neither of them have the other. It's really, really weird. And it's like, <laughs> and so Elias just been called Elias. If he'd just been called Elias when he came in, you might get used to it. But it's like, I want to say Elias Sampson. And I know that if I was in an interview with him, a WWE person would say, um, you can't refer to him as Elias Sampson anymore. He's just Elias. And you go, shut up, you dick. Because that's not how things work. So that's annoying me now. And here's what I'm, this is what I'm coming on to, is that I don't want to see the bloody Miz interfere in a bloody match again and cost a title match because... That's basically all that's happening with um, uh, oh my goodness, I've forgotten, I've forgotten his damn name now because I'm so angry. Um, who's the SmackDown champion? Jinder. Jinder, Jinder Mahal. Mahal. And that's what that's Jinder. What happens? So that's Jinder Mahal's entire run. Is he's not good enough? The two little fellas cheat for him. He wins, right? That's how it works. And now Miz is doing exactly the same thing. Now I know that that's how wrestling has worked for 50 years. We have a you have a heel manager, valet, heater, bodyguard, call him what you will, that interferes and cheats and that guy wins. I get that, but if we're going into an era, because we'll get later, we'll get there later with the Reigns and Cena, if we're going into an era where we're going to, quote-unquote, shoot on air, or it's work shoot, so it's going to be, you know, bringing reality into it a little bit more, if you start to realise that the reason why fans aren't accepting Jordan is because they understand that this is the the company picking someone to go with as opposed to fans just going oh here's someone we'll cheer or boo you have to realise that they're not going to fall for the old heel tactics anymore they're not going to go oh we hate him because he cheated to win they're just going to go oh it's another non-finish now, mm. now why, why finishes should matter anyway when it's a scripted reality I don't know but it just does and you just feel oh can't they just have a match can't, they just, can't Miz just beat him like, can't Miz just be better than him? No, the answer is no, because you want to build Jordan. Okay, well, let Jordan win then. And it's like, I, I understand the flaw in my own logic, because I understand how things have to work in terms of, you know, giving people certain amounts of wins and pushing heels and whatever. But at this point, because everything else is annoying me, that's annoying me. But especially the <laughs> fact that it's, it's Jinder's gimmick. And to me, you're trying to make a champion over there, and you're failing miserably. But it's not helping that Miz is doing the gimmick and frankly doing it better. True. No, I can't, I can't disagree with any of that. It never really occurred to me when I watched it because for whatever reason, I I don't make the connection between the Raw, the Raw and SmackDown um, scenarios. You're absolutely right. They're almost identical, but it, it never it never crosses my mind. I kind of must... I guess I must treat them as two separate entities in my head um, as WWE would want me to. But, um, yeah, I, I, I still quite dig the Mistourage. I think it's another little foible, another quirk for Miz's character, another little, you know, something else for him to hide behind. Um, yeah, you know, no complaints for me. I thought it was I thought it was the right finish for the match. I, I must say, I, I like Miz as champion, and I, and I, I like him better, and I, I think he suits the role. 
and I do like the Miztourage. Um, I would actually like them to be more fawning. I would like them to be more because it feels like Miz just. It feels like Miz picked two guys, and it's like if you're going to pick two guys, you're not going to pick those two losers, are you? You know, I'm, I'm, it felt like I'd rather them be. Oh, we think you're wonderful, Miz. You know, in the same way that he's had people before, like uh, um, uh, an Alex Riley that was his. Um, yeah. It was his number two Mizdow. in NXT, and Damien Mizdow. And I, I like the the person with Miz. It went with Michael Cole to a certain extent when they were doing that whole thing, although it was annoying yeah, on commentary. Yeah. I like the people going, "Oh, Miz, you're so wonderful," and and him going, "Oh, yeah, I am." <laughs> so I, I like that aspect of the character. I wish they were slightly more fawning and slightly more over the top, and you know, um, laying out carpet for him and, and pushing back paparazzi and and whatever, like being over the top, almost like their bodyguards sort of thing. Where obviously it's useless because they're not. Um, what it does remind me of though is that I sort of I miss I miss stables. Oh you know, hell yes. I miss I miss a st- and when I mean a st- and I mean not a. I don't think I mean a stable. I think I think more of a faction, really. I don't mean a manager that's got four or five people under his wing. I mean no. a group of people that more like you know, like a horseman. Where you know, one of the fun things about having other people around heels is that baby faces have to go through other people to get there. So you know, you can quite easily do Jordan versus Axel, and then you can do Jordan versus Dallas, and then you can do Jordan versus Axel and Dallas, and then you can go Jordan and a team versus Miz and Axel and Dallas, and you can have lots of ways of getting him getting his hands on the Miz. And I don't just mean Jason Jordan, I mean anyone. You know, that's part of how it works. The same with Nakamura and the Singh brothers, and you know, whoever else and whoever else. That's that all that has worked for a long time, and that continues to work. But I miss the idea of there being, you know, a group of folk that's got a leader, but it's also got some other people that are vaguely credible wrestlers. Not, I mean, they are just jobbers. Yeah. You know, there's no suggestion that, you know, that you know, there might have been a suggestion that um, Dusty Rhodes might have lost to Tully Blanchard. I'm sure he wouldn't have, but there was sort of something behind, you know, you know, Tully Blanchard or Arn Anderson wrestling a. You know, a Magnum TA or someone like that that you thought, oh, actually they could win this, or they could at least be a credible threat to injure them, or, or something. Whereas there just isn't for, you know, for know. A, Bo, a Bo Dallas. They're just warm bodies, aren't they? I know what you mean. Yeah, but it's yeah. um, I'd like to see, and I, and I, when I say that, I don't mean a, you know, let's put Roman Reigns back together with the Shield. I mean more of a, you know, you could have a group of people around, that just happen to come up together and happen to have a common cause and. And just be nasty sure. people together. But anyway, we, I digress because it's it's probably not going to happen at uh, any time. Um, Finn and Bray next up. Oh, this um, is an interesting one. How so? Well, I am not a fan of Bray, as I've made very very clear um, in in past in past podcasts. I'm not a fan of this feud at all. I think it's done Finn more harm than it's done him good. But then. I got to this match and the opening video package they're all well done aren't they it's not it's no news to say that wow WWE have done a great video package this feud but it really turned me onto the feud in one video package I was like do you know what actually this is pretty good and the match that followed was equally as interesting I enjoyed it I didn't it wasn't a barnstormingly incredible match but I thought it was well booked with Bray taking out Finn early doors and doing the whole hobbling semi to the back thing and then coming back and winning against the odds I really liked it I thought it was um, a good early mid-card match and I thought it, I thought both guys looked pretty decent definitely Bray's best performance in a year I'd say 
Um, well, I'm not going to go that far necessarily, but um, I did think it was. Uh, I thought it was better than I anticipated it would be. I thought it was the best of their matches so far. Um, I still not crazy about the the strange logic of doing the demon before you do. You know, no. Bray on his own, Finn on his own again. But I saw, I could see what they were going with. I don't, I don't think they did a good job of it. But I think their idea was, you know, okay, Bray's beat him, so he needs to pull out the demon. And now Bray's getting in his head about, oh, you can't beat me without the demon. So he has to be a man and, and shut him up and win that way. So I can sort of get it, although I feel, always feel that once one man beats another man clean, and then they wrestle again, I sort of think... Why is why is Finn having to wrestle him again? Like, what's the what's the point here? Why can't he just move on? But now he has. Well, well, we see if he has. Seemingly. I, I think the issue is that you know you go into Raw and then you get Finn and Gold Dust, and it just feels like. You know, we'll talk later on about what we expect the you know to happen for for a Universal Championship and and where they could go with that in the future, but. You know, we're suddenly in a in a big man territory again. Um, yeah. You know, it's not necessarily a complaint, but we're in a bit of a big man territory, and you feel that it's a long, long, long way off Finn having a universal title shot. Because um, yeah, you feel I, that I, you, I disagree. I just don't see that you can do Finn and Lesnar. I don't see you can do Finn and Strowman. I don't see that you can do. You know Finn and Roman, none of them really fit to me because I think Finn needs a couple of bigger wins than Wyatt to keep on building his way up, and I sort of feel that he would just be booked to get knocked off by Brock Strowman and um, Brock Strowman and Roman. And I wish you know we had the ability to do a little trade here because I think moving Finn over to SmackDown, I think there'll be much more credible. He could have a credible go against Mahal, whether or not he beats him. He could wrestle AJ, he could wrestle Nakamura, he could wrestle Randy Orton. Um, you know, I feel that there's more realistic matches for him out there. Because at the moment, on the heel side, unless, I don't know when Samoa Joe is meant to be back and we can do some Finn and Joe stuff, but then we've done that in NXT not long ago. It just I, I, I don't look at Raw and think there's an, any sort of natural um, and natural issue for Finn to take on. Um, there isn't, but that goes back to the point you made earlier to say WWE have decided that Finn Balor is going to face Brock Lesnar for the Universal title, and how we get there, be damned. Um, and that's the point. That's the problem. They're deciding on the uh, destination and not letting the journey take its uh, run its natural course. So I think. Sorry, sorry. How do, we, how, do, how do we know that? How do we know that? Well, uh, sorry, it's um, it's been pretty widely reported all year that. Though you know the the title shots for Brock Lesnar are going to be Strowman, Joe, Balor, and I think Rollins was on the on the cards as well, running up to Reigns at WrestleMania. Right. By recent reports, um, it's Rollins has been pushed out of the picture, but Finn Balor is his next title defense. Oh, okay. So, so I think that's I. It feels like you know the sources. Well, Meltzer, they, they've, they've been running with this story all year, and they've got it pretty right for the most part. So I, I expect that to, to continue to be the case. Um, but you're right, and I think uh, I'd love when you said that. I'd love the idea of a move to SmackDown for Finn. I think it'd be phenomenal. You know, trade him for Baron Corbin or Jinder or whatever else, whatever Randy Orton, whatever you want to do. Um, I think it'd make a ton of sense. 
but um, that's not what we've got and I think Balor needs to make the best of what he can get I don't think he's done half of what he needs to do on the main roster yet I don't think he's given the opportunity to shine um, hopefully he can um, what I ultimately see for him once that title shot with Lesnar is out of the way I think we're going to see a club reunion well that's possible do you know what's just reminded I just what's just come into my head we're Go saying on. about Finn having moved on from Wyatt but of course they did the bloody whole world in his hands thing didn't they on Raw yeah so they that did, suggests they? that maybe maybe that hasn't finished even though we've had three bloody matches and it's been you know it's been plenty I, I recall them going back to that whole world in his hands chant while Balor was in the ring so you know yeah know. yeah you may be right well we'll see we'll see but um, I think ultimately Balor will come out on top of that um, and it'll be, it'll be him against Le- uh, Lesnar next so um, we move on to um, uh, Sheamus and Cesaro taking on uh, Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins um, when is the last time you saw something as graphic <laughs> and as real but yet kind of so befitting the character as Seamus oh well Cesaro sorry getting his two front teeth knocked out what an absolute colossus that guy is what an absolute sort of trooper uh, you know you can almost imagine you know you, we've all heard the reports about Vince McMahon not giving Cesaro what he deserves because he's too Swiss or whatever else you could just imagine the cogs wearing after seeing that and going you know what that guy that guy's a star that guy's a trooper that could well have been the moment he needed for his career but oh it looked bad didn't it it looked bad and it not only looked bad but then when we found out he hadn't had his teeth knocked out but shoved up into his gums that oh I didn't know that is that right did you not yeah they didn't come out man they went straight up they went into his gums and that makes it even worse for me what a legend for carrying on do you know what the the biggest thing right What, what, what did he do what happened in the two seconds after he hit the post um You'll have to remind me, mate. I can't remember. He stood still and he opened his mouth knowing that there was a camera on him. Okay. He sold it. He thought... His first thought was, as well as, oh, shit, that hurts, was, how can I get people to see this? Well, it reminds yeah, me, if you, if you go back to the Hell in the Cell and you've got Foley with his bloody tooth sticking out of his nose or whatever it was, watch Mick and he's actually... They look like he's smiling at the camera... And he says in his book that he was actually he had a, he had a, a hole, sort of under his uh, bottom lip when he was putting his tongue through to show you that yeah, he yeah. Could get his tongue through it. He actually sort of can't really see it, but he was trying to show the camera that. And I'm certain that watch Cesaro. The first thing he does is he rolls up his top lip, and I'm just doing it now, which is pointless. I know the yet. visual. I know but the visual. I can see it, it in my mind's eye. He does the old, you know, when he's trying to talk like that. He he puts his top lip straight up, and so that's a kind of look at look what's happened, and then you get the shot. So yeah. what what a pro all round for not only just carrying on and marching on and uh, and and getting on with it, but also for you know for being able having the uh, the sense to have that kind of visual. To go back to what I was saying before about the uh, the dynamic of heels and baby faces, I think more acts like them 
work. In this modern era, they are heels, they work as heels. They're nasty, they take a cheap shot every now and again, but they're not that bad, are they? They're not dastardly, they're not... Cr this is an era where Braun Strowman can chuck people off of... Um, off of uh, shelves and he can drive cars into them and they can do all sorts of things and can be cheered so yeah. it's almost impossible to get really 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 good heat so actually being the cool heel is not a bad place to be because it sort of feels more re don't they feel as realistic as any act on the card 100% like they, feel, they feel like they're hurting people they feel like they're good mates they feel like they're alpha males they feel I think if you said who do you want to be if you could, you could be anyone on the card right now. You'd like to, you could, you'd be one of those boys, wouldn't you? Oh, mate, I think that, they're so good. Like, I think them. I'd go as far as to say, outside of Braun, they're my favourite act um, in the company at the moment. I just think they have absolutely nailed what they need to be. They are a pair of hard-ass, wise-cracking bastards. In many ways, they remind me of the Acolytes. Um, they're a, mo a, they're a modern version of the Acolytes and we all know how big they got during the uh, during the Attitude Era I think you know shame uh, sorry Cesaro has done it three times in my opinion now he's he's turned guys that were floundering for whatever reason um, in Jack Swagger Tyson Kidd and now Sheamus formed a tag team with them and very very quickly that tag team has become the best tag team in the company one of the best acts on the show maybe not so much for the real Americans not quite on the level of the other two but nonetheless he improved every single guy he's been with and I just think I just I can't say enough good things about these two I love the act love it a bit um, and a nice prop with uh, I loved I love to see uh, Seamus's Liverpool FC badge as well that was quite a cool little thing Oh, I never noticed that. Um, yeah, yeah. But um, they kind of come out of the mould of uh, of the top man himself. They come, they're a bit Lesnar-y, aren't they? Absolutely. There might be a little bit more sports entertainment to them, you know, in doing the, uh, the, the their big elaborate entrance and the little skits backstage or whatever. But they've got that sort of Lesnar thing of Lesnar is just all about kicking ass. And so he can be a heel if you want him to just be sort of nasty and against the, the virtuous babyface. But also he can be a babyface against a nasty heel because he's just Brock. And you can't have everyone like that. But you sort of can have you can have more people than you realise like that if they're really, really good. Yeah. And since Seamus and Cesaro are really good, um, I think you could have them wrestle. I'm trying to think of a, nas a real nasty heel team now that's not... No one's jumping into my mind. Oh, um, the revival. You could yeah. do Sheamus and Cesaro versus the revival, and realistically, it's a heel v heel thing, which is not supposed to work. But actually, both teams are so good; those matches would be excellent. But it wouldn't necessarily make Sheamus and Cesaro huge baby faces. They could then go back to wrestling, you know, the Hardys or whoever, and still be a heel act. I actually think that's okay as long as you're consistent and you're good and your character means something that people can care about. What's happened in the past is too many people have, um, you know, your canes and your big shows of the world have turned. And I don't mean yeah, yeah. they've, you know, gone from wrestling babyface to wrestling heels, but they've gone from either being, you know, virtuous cane that looks after people and has a good, um, you know, sense of morals to burn them in hell, you know, embrace the hate cane 
and then back again and the same with Big Show and it's like that doesn't work that's lowered them and you know watered them down over the years whereas I think if you just gave this act to Seamus and Cesaro forever or to various other people just more people that I want to be like you know that aren't aren't dicks all the time and that aren't carrying little nicely nicely baby faces but I, I, I miss watching wrestling and thinking I'd like to be that guy you make you make a really good point, man. And like just just a fantasy book for a for a quick second, you could absolutely do that. You could have these guys as as heels for the time being, and then let's say you know whatever they beat somebody on the show doesn't matter who, and then they're they're sort of celebrating in a ring, and out from nowhere come the authors of pain, and just beat the living shit out of them, and then instantly you've got heel authors of pain against face Cesaro and Sheamus. And yeah, to to to, to, to to go back to my uh, point, it would be a great match, and and then you'd go to the next time, and you could still have Sheamus and Cesaro being nasty pricks picking on baby faces, and it, it wouldn't necessarily diminish the act as long as they were consistent. And that's the cool thing, to exactly. be fair, to do to, about Cena was where you know you've had the whole oh, he's face to some people and heel to others. He's always been quite true, Cena. He's always he's always been stayed straight to his character. So, therefore, the reasons that you have to hate him, you can boo him, and for the reasons that you have to love him, you can cheer him, but he doesn't sort of switch from one to the other really quickly, and I've always found that quite, you know, it not, it's not really like real life, is it? Most people you know aren't nice people for two years, and then bastards for two years, and then nice again. No, you know, quite. To be, to be fair, they did a really good job, in my opinion, with Rollins, of explaining why you should now cheer him because he had to sort of earn his way back into the affections of the fans and he had to say look I, I went wrong my head was turned you know I did the wrong things I was doing it for my own selfish greed I realise now that's wrong um, you know please take me back sort of thing audience and then please take me back Dean Ambrose yep. and eventually people went yeah okay then and I think that's kind of cool I think that's a, a good a good honest 21st century grown up way of doing things rather than just saying boo this man now yeah gr- grown up is a great way of describing it um, I, I love how those two have come back together because like you say they didn't just come back together and all you know we're both good guys now so we'll forget the past that you, you you're dead right Rollins had to earn that team and he did it didn't feel like it was just shortcutted it felt like he earned it and subsequently now that team are back together it means something and that takes us back to this match I guess like you know I think I remember talking about this going in saying I expected big things from this and Jesus wept did it deliver what a match eh it was really good it was really good what WWE have suddenly hit upon in the last year or two is really really great tag matches yeah and it's kind of come out of nowhere and it's not necessarily used to, you don't necessarily go oh there's a load of great teams that are necessarily miles better than they have been for years and years it just feels that like they've gone okay it's quite a good way to have a match it's quite a good way to say here's 20 minutes guys off you go yeah and so you, you just mentioned the new day and the usos which have, have been you know have been killing it but i think there's been lots of other tag matches as well you know where you know, you look down into NXT, and you know we've talked about the authors of pain and the revival, and you know you can mention teams like DIY, and you know there's been a real movement of tag team wrestling can be fun, and I have never ever ever been a tag wrestling guy. 
you know how you've always had these people going oh I miss tag team wrestling I love tag team wrestling I never have done because I've always thought they were too formulaic I, I remember watching tag team wrestling when I was a kid and I saw through it I saw through the you know there's always the hot tag and there's always the you know the referee holding back the guy because he didn't see the tag and I always used to think how come that guy's six foot eight but he can't get past that five foot nine referee then it's like and I never bought tag team wrestling. I was on oh, a tag team match now. This is what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen. Where, you know, okay, singles matches tend to follow the same pattern as well, where the baby face starts off well and then the, the heel gets some heat and then there's a comeback. And it's still broadly the same, but there's a bit of more scope to change it in a singles match, whereas in the tag team, it just seems to be the same thing. But but they've gone past that. They They have much better fluidity now, these matches. They're not just... You know the same old stuff we've seen for decades. They do have, oh. they can have a false finish, and then they can go back into another pattern, and you can get another ten minutes out of the match. And it's, it's that keeping you guessing: is this going to be an eight-minute job? Is it going to be a twenty-minute job? And it can go from, uh, you know, you can send your emotions, and I love that, and I think it's, it's a real benefit to them. And, and just look at what it's doing for those four fellas, who otherwise, basically, you could have. Rollins wrestling Sheamus, or you could have um, um, Ambrose wrestling Cesaro, and yep. having okay mid-card matches. But you're sort of thinking now, oh, all you're doing is, you know, sort of kicking your heels, waiting for a, a, a title match to come up. But you've told a really sensible story between Sheamus and Cesaro that's made them a great team. You've told a really good story, making Ambrose and Rollins something you feel is probably going to be short-lived as a team. But they could maybe do that thing of having them as being mates. You know, for a, a long time. So if they need to get together in team, they can do. And I, I think that's kind of lacking. I, I used to like that with, you know, certain wrestlers had certain people that they were there. I'm not going to go so far as to say Hogan and Beefcake, but you know, you know what I mean. Oh. That sort of, you know, baby faces should have friends, because baby faces should be nice people. So they, if baby faces are in peril, someone should come out and help them, because they're baby faces and they're virtuous. And I hate watching big four-on-one beatdowns and thinking, well, where's so and so? You know, why doesn't someone, anyone, come and help him? And yep. it's, it's just, again, it's just a gosh. little bit of common sense. And, and I like the idea that maybe Ambrose could be having a feud on his own for several weeks and then just there's one week where he's getting beaten down and, and Rollins comes and helps, just because that's a good thing to do. And well, I, I would like the sound of that. I remember when The Shield first broke up and I, you know, or when they were... No, when they were together, actually. And I, I was talking about the, the inevitable breakup. And I said I'd love to see the point where they do break up, and you know, a few of them became, a couple of them became heels. Maybe one was a face or vice versa, whatever. But they all stayed friends across the face heel divide, and you know, they all stick up for each other and help each other because they help their mates. And I'd love to see, I'd like to see something the same with it now with Rollins and Ambrose. Like you say, I'd like to keep that alliance going even when they go back in singles competition. But um, yeah, this this was the highlight of the night for me, hands down. Wonderful match. Do we just go there again for the next time? Yes, yes, we do. Am uh, I right in thinking? Am I right in thinking that the next pay per view is TLC? Yes, you are. Yep. Okay. Well, just there you common sense. Common sense is it? Um, what's um, what's Jeff Hardy's position? Um, I don't know. Actually, he's out. As you know, um, but I don't know. I don't know how long he's out for. Um, but that wouldn't necessarily stop it because then Matt could go and get himself another partner, couldn't he? Well, he's just, re- he's just tied with Jason Jordan this week on Raw, so 
Um, uh, yep, yeah. or we could go Finn Balor. Uh, they've always had, they've had something of an alliance going recently. I remember one of the most fun tag team matches I ever saw was back in what 2003, maybe, when it was due to be um, Hassan Benjamin against Los Guerreros, and Chavo went down with an injury, and Eddie replaced him with Tajiri. Um, completely random team, but it, they had a pay-per-view ladder match, and it was brilliant fun. Yes, it can it can certainly work. Um, I think uh, going back to your your suggestion before about Balor and a title shot, in, are we what are we assuming is going to happen with the top of the card? Are we assuming are we assuming that is Brock going to be at TLC? I think the rumor is that he's going to be off till Survivor Series. Okay. So expect it either at Survivor Series or more likely Royal Rumble. Because I was going to say if you're going to do if you're going to do a Brock Lesnar title defence at TLC I don't see how you do Brock Lesnar in a TLC match with for example Braun Strowman no it's not a TLC match is it because you could could put Balor in it if you're going to do Balor versus Lesnar you could do Balor versus Lesnar in a TLC and argue that you know Balor has more chance because of the nature of the match but um, I suggest that uh, if they are going to do another Balor and Wyatt match they can do some plunder and do TLC maybe and then you can do the tag matches the TLC you could even do that as the main event you know if you had if you had the the, the tag team titles could be the main event of that show if you wanted it to be 100% agreed you could do so I think I, was... I think I know what the uh, main event of that show is going to be though and we'll come to that later okay well we'll, we'll, we'll get there because um, yes I think I think I know as well mm. Um Next up, um, we've got uh, Alexa beating uh, Bailey, Emma, Nia, and Sasha. It was a fatal five-way. Um, it was a get all the girls on the card at the same time job, and the uh, the heel um, snatches the wind as they tend to in these uh, multi-person matches. But what I will say for all of them is they've all got their place, haven't they? They're, they're all they're all quite quite rounded characters, with the possible exception of Emma, who's a bit sort of thrown in there as the token, token you know, humpy um, heel. They humpy heel? Humpy, just, just, like, just throws a huff. Oh, okay, like, just, like, okay. just, just dead stroppy, stroppy is a better word. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, there's, there's not really much to her about, apart from thinking she's great when she's not, and just throwing a strop when she loses, but she's there to, she's there to get beat by people. Yes. But, but it's... I like that if you go across the whole women's division on both sides of the camp, pretty much all of them have got a character, and it's not just, you know, stroppy girl A versus lovely girl B. Yeah. You know, they've they've got nuances and they've got different um things that you can you can cheer on about them. And obviously, Alexa is great, but Alexa is still at the moment enjoying that period of, you know, she gets cheered by a few people because she's good, but generally speaking, she she's she a has ba- yeah. she has baby face um, people to take her on. Who will be cheered? You know, people will cheer Sasha and Bailey more than they would cheer Alexa. So it's um, it's kind of working for at the moment. But we look like we're going to do Alexa versus uh, Mickey James next. Yeah, and that, well, that's a nice departure. I think that's going to be really good. I enjoyed this match a lot more than I expected. And who would have thought that the star of the match, arguably, was Nia Jax? I thought she was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and she took some hellacious bumps as well. That back body drop power bomb onto uh, onto the floor, really connected. And then when she took that shoulder bump into the post, you thought the bloody post was going to snap in half. Um, she really brought it, and I thought all they. I thought I I 
bought into the story. I enjoyed the action. I loved it when Alexa sneaked the win. Yep, I thought this was really, really top-notch stuff. Agreed, and agreed on the Naya point. I thought she was excellent. Um, I have an issue with the composition um, of um, of rosters sometimes when they ha- when you have someone like a Naya that she works perfectly in this situation. It's very much the Big Show, you know, of his first couple of years where the best matches involving the Big Show tended to be triple threats and fatal four ways, where you had the really cool dynamic of say Rock and Triple H who hated one another but they teamed up to try and get Big Show out of the picture yeah and you know the Big Show then would dominate and then they'd have to go back so you'd have the even the heels would realise that okay we can work with the baby faces to get rid of the big guy similar to a Royal Rumble when people you know gang up against the big fella the trouble is for a singles perspective is that unless you do the you know the um, the the quite tough to do you know, little guy beating the big guy via a, a guillotine or, or something like that. It's hard for Naya to have any matches with any of these other girls because they are quite small and quite slender. You know, Alexa and Sasha in particular are tiny. Bailey's not huge. Emma's not big. There isn't really a. There's not a Beth Phoenix. You know, to to wrestle that match. Um, you know, against a. Uh, against the Naya or. You know, the best example of it by far is in TNA with the matches that Gail Kim had with Awesome Kong. Right. Where Gail worked such a style that she was so believable that she could beat Kong. And I'd, I'm not certain that any of those girls really worked such a style that you would think, yes, I believe that they can beat Nia. And I feel that, that sort of causes a bit of an issue. It's not Nia's fault. She's, she can only do what she's dealt and she's doing it very well and she's getting better all the time. I just I I can't see how they can hold off much longer without doing a Nia wipes out everybody and wins the title and just dominates for a year because I, I love Alexa I think she's absolutely great but I, I I think it's time for Nia Jax to be champion for two years and the, the trouble is they've t- the timing is wrong because now you've got Asuka coming along and you know you've done the Asuka Nia thing before on NXT and we've sort of seen it but you know to have Nia be champion for a year and no one can beat her and then Asuka comes along and then she wins you know kind of makes more sense I actually feel what's going to happen is that Alexa's going to beat Mickey, then Asuka's going to come along Asuka's going to win the title and she's going to be champ forever and Nia's never really going to get that long dominant stretch I don't think because mm. if they're going to do the long dominance they're going to need to do it with Asuka because they could do a genuine two or three year stint here couldn't they because she's basically been cha- NXT champ for a year I assume they would give her the title as soon as she gets a chance on Raw and you can really tell the story of this woman is undefeated in forever so it's going to mean something huge when someone finally does beat her yeah I think I think so um, Asuka's obviously going to change the whole dynamic of the, uh, the division um, I would like to see her spend multiple months running through the division one by one by one um, with Alexa getting increasingly scared as she gets towards her in you know constantly saying how she has to beat this woman and beat that woman to prove herself until finally she gets to Alexa at whatever point in the future and beats her in 10 seconds flat yeah I agree um, with that I like, I like that she I like should that do. a lot um, I'd love to see that and for me in that scenario Naya is the final gatekeeper um, 
I think I think that could be a great story. And let's face it, then they're, they're not going to. Everything else goes on hold for Asuka, and rightly so. Um, she's she's the force. She's the money. She's you know they've been built. She's been built up to the point where her streak is as important as any since Bill Goldberg's. Um, and I think they'll that will translate into interest in the woman division on Raw more so than these these women's revolution. Um, what would you call them players contenders whatever in the yeah. last couple of years I think I think this is going to be a real money angle that'll see a main event multiple pay-per-views not because it makes a nice hashtag and a nice social media point that women have main evented but because she genuinely deserves to agreed and I think Asuka actually falls into the uh, category we were just talking about before as in if Asuka wrestles Bailey yes. she's the heel but if she wrestles Alexa, she's the babyface, and actually she doesn't really need to. Check. She what she is is an an ass-kicking winning machine that's got a bit of an arrogant streak. Um, yes and no. I I personally I've enjoyed Asuka's character progression more more so than probably any other character on the roster in recent years because she started as an out-and-out babyface, a beloved Japanese ass-kicking machine. But as she got more and more desperate into holding on to that title, she started going where you're saying she'd, she'd be a bit devious now and again. By the end of that run in NXT, she was a full-blown heel. Gloating, cheating, proper heel. Um, and I don't think there was any ambiguity. I think she, her arc was a traditional one. She, But she didn't turn overnight, which was a beauty. She didn't just suddenly become a nefarious heel. She turned because she had to. And it was done slowly, and it was done really, really well. I enjoyed that a lot. I, I agree to an extent. I don't feel that they were full-blown with her. She was mainly a heel, but in the same way that Sheamus and Cesaro are mainly a heel. Because she would win matches straight up. She didn't cheat to win. And mm, she did. Well, she did. not... not, not in, in, the, in, the, in the latter couple of defences, she cheated to win. I can't remember... The circumstances now, but she did, and that was fine. I'm not convinced. I don't. Remember, I don't recall any matches where the the, the the she might have cheated during a match, but I can't think of too many finishes where there were let me know, have shenan- it, let shenan- shenanigans at the end. Let me just look this up. Just give me indulge me for one second. Um, so, ba, 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 ba. so her last match was against Ember Moon, wasn't it? Yes. Um, I'm blanking on the finish mate to be honest I'm sure hopefully we'll get someone tweeting us and telling us what it was but I'm almost convinced that um, that she was that she cheated out and out to win that let's have a look so results main uh, Asuka well no it doesn't say I know where I'm looking but yeah we'll, we'll agree to disagree on that one but yeah anyway she's going to be a force no doubt about it Yes, I mean that's uh, that that we can um, uh, we can agree on. Um, any other thoughts on? Uh, fact, oh yeah, I, I would like to get your thoughts on how the uh, what you thought of the the, the the segment on Raw between Mickey and uh, Alexa because I felt. In fact, no, you go first. I'll I'll tell you what uh, tell you what I think in a sec. I really liked it. Um, a because we like Mickey. Um, she's a, a you know a, an old inverted commas friend of ours. So it's nice to see her get that spot. But I also love it when divisions get cycled through in wrestling, and it's not the same old contenders just 
going in and out of um, out of out of matches and prolonging feuds for ages and ages. Mickey's been on the back burner, but she came back and she was plugged in. But she's plugged in with a logical reason because Bliss um, thinks she's a has been and she wants to prove she isn't. So that makes perfect sense. But what I loved so much about that was that, that segment was just how well Bliss played that role. She was just her usual brilliant self in being condescending and getting frustrated. Um, she's just such a good heel, isn't she? She's very good, and she's um, she's sort of perfected. It's, it's, it's not a new character, is it? That sort of no. bitchy, mean girls. You know, in fact, it's it's very beautiful people from from TNA. You know, but it's but it's better. Yes, it, agreed. You know, with, with the respect to. Now, Angelina Love and, and Velvet Sky, both of who played the character well to an extent. You know, first of all, Alexis is a better wrestler than either of those two, and you know, I think she's got a little bit more, you know, nastiness in her. Um, I, I think all round she throws herself into it that little bit more. But um, I like the segment for the, for the fact that it started off pretty flat. Mickey got basically no pop um, for coming out. The, the, those the fans that are around now. I think it's starting to indicate to you just how much of a turnover there's been in fans recently. Because mm. I'm not so certain. I think Mickey came in as the kind of, oh, it's Mickey James, everyone. And quite a lot of people went, well, who's that then? Because she wasn't someone that they talk about all the time. True. You know, there's, cert- there's certain people that they will constantly talk about. You know, like They mention Batista a lot. Now, it's because he's a movie star. And they're happy to talk about someone that's in, what was he in, Fantastic Four or whatever it is. Um, no, Guardians of the Galaxy. Right? Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, I, you know, I don't know what that. And, and James Bond and the new Blade Runner film. Oh, I knew he was in a. I didn't. I knew he was in a Bond. No, but there's there's one in particular, isn't it, where he's he's like a big boulder guy. Um. Yeah. That's um. That's Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy. In Guardians of the Galaxy. That's what I'm thinking of, right? Drax. Um, Drax. Is that what he's called? That's a good name. Um. But uh, anyway, they talk about Batista because he's 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 got some mainstream um, credentials, so I understand why. So if they bring back Batista, I know last time it didn't really work because the whole Daniel Bryan stuff, but if they were to bring back Batista, there'd be an audible, oh, it's Batista's back! Because they talk about him a lot. And yep. there's certain other people that if they, you know, were to come back at any point, you know, obviously, you know, Punk was a big enough star or, you know, whoever else, but they're, they're in the public eye and they're mentioned, whereas Mickey sort of went away, they didn't mention Mickey at all, and then she came back and everyone went, it's Mickey James, everyone, they went, oh yeah, I remember her. And she was never the star of the division. She was always really good, and she was... You know, you know, at the forefront, but she was never Trish. She was never Lita. She was never Alundra Plays. You know, she was never in you know, a Charlotte. Now, you know, she was never the star. So I think it's, it's Armstrong. But I thought it was a testament to how good the pair of them were that by the end of that segment, the crowd were interested. I didn't like the fact that Mickey just put her on her ass at the end. I don't like it when segments just end with the babyface hitting the woman for no reason. It's like, well, you know, wouldn't that have been more fun if? Alexa had sort of poked her in the eye and ran away so the heel was doing the thing that was pissing the baby face off rather than just Mickey just do we need to see the match now hasn't Mickey got her got the best of her and it's like uh, that I wasn't keen on that struck me as oh we don't really know how to end this let's just have the baby face get a pop for no reason but generally speaking I thought that was a really really solid effort by two really good performers because they got the crowd going from a, a position of in a really fallow position and they managed to bring them up through so credit to them um, the other thing I, I pick up on is if you were um, let's say you were in, in the in the pub talking about um, about someone and you said I'll tell you what I'll give so and so credit they're good for their age aren't they 
And if, <laughs> if there was someone that you was talking to you that you didn't know, what question would they ask you? If you were saying, well, I... you said about uh, whether she, your grand or something, you go, oh, I tell you what, she's good for her age. Your mate would go, oh, how old is she? And you well, go, yeah, she's and you go, oh, she's 90. Oh, bloody hell, 90, really? And it's the same with like, a footballer. If you're signing a footballer, you go, well, you know, he's a veteran, but he's still fit for his age. Well, how old is he? Oh, he's 35. Oh, bloody hell, 35. Right? At no point when they've been talking about how Mickey James is old, have they said how old she is? <laughs> and it's like, you've got to... Don't you at some point have to let the audience make up their mind for themselves whether or not Mickey... But she's 38, by the way. Um, and here's the problem if you start talking about how Mickey James is old at 38 Finn Balor is 37 <laughs> AJ Styles is 40 right Bobby Roode is 40 John Cena's 41 I'm, a, I'm probably a little bit off on these ages but I'm within a year right yeah so yeah you can't Shinsuke Nakamura's about 36 37 I think and it's like you can't start talking about people being old and then saying their ages because you're going to have to go well how old so and so it always reminds me of the, the rumble in 93 where they kept on well, Bobby Heenan keeps talking about Bob Backlund and he goes he's 43 years old and it's like Flair was 42 <laughs> it's like, they were talking about how old Backlund was and Flair was meant to be a main eventer and he was one year younger I know he's about to leave yeah. and whatever but it's all the um, and then later on in the match Monsoon calls there. Uh, Carlos Colon, a, a youngster, and he was about 50. But um, <laughs> but it's I, I just I, it, it struck me as amusing. I understand why they can't say how old she is, but it just seemed really weird that you would go after something without giving the detail. What's really odd is that Bob Backlund in the 1993 Royal Rumble and John Cena of today are within two years of each other age-wise. How weird wow. is that? Yeah, think of that context, eh? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, and it, well, I th- I, you know, I think... I'm trying to work it out. So yes, they're going 43 for Backland. I think, you know, Bret Hart was the champion at the time. I think Bret would have been about 38. I guess so, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, these things are, uh, are very surprising when you find out certain people. But it's, um, it's a very fair point to make is that it's not about their real age, is it? It's about a TV age. If someone breaks in at 19 and is on television for 10 years straight you're kind of fed up with them a little bit and they need to change whatever so it doesn't matter that they're, they're 29 or whether they're 39 Finn Balor is brand new to our screens okay you've watched New Japan you've watched Ring of Honor you've watched Progress you've watched whatever and you've seen him wrestle but if you're just a WWE guy you've only known Finn Balor for 18 months or so a little bit longer yep. if you follow NXT so Finn Balor may as well be 24 and it makes sense to not talk about people's ages in those contexts because people that are used to watching sport will know that pretty much every major team physical sport so football american football baseball rugby tennis you know most of those energetic major sports you're realistically talking about mid 30s being the end of it aren't you you'll get the odd person yes. who can go a little bit longer maybe like an american football quarterback can probably go a bit longer because it's not quite so they can you know so physical goalkeepers in football Golfers obviously, you know, peak at different times, but then golf's not quite the same physical sport. But most physical, you know, sports mid thirties is an old person. Whereas in wrestling, because it's not an actual physical, well, it's a physical job, but because it's the performance rather than the victory, you do find that people are at their best as long as they can keep in shape. You know, AJ Styles is probably the best he's ever been. 
Yep. He's probably not. He's not in the best shape he's ever been. No, nope, he's, he's, he's forty. The best overall. But he's learned so much. The best matches of Shawn Michaels' career were happening when he was 45, 46 years old. Now, not everyone's Shawn Michaels, but so many people. You know, look at Jericho for Christ's sake. How old is Jericho? Jericho's mid forties, isn't he? Forty-six yep, or something, absolutely. Jericho. And it's like, so Jericho debuted in two thousand. So if he's forty-six now. If he's debuting in 2000, he was about, what, 29, that makes him roughly? So, Based on, yeah, that's about right, isn't it? And I wouldn't say he's quite as good now as he was a few years ago, but you'd certainly say that Jericho's best matches were, you know, in his early 40s rather than in his late 20s. Correct. Because of, yeah. because of what, what he learned as a performer and what he continues to be able to bring to the table as a performer. So yeah. I understand... I'm, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm making a point of that my initial criticism was more of, the, of a, a joke about the situation of calling someone old as opposed to um, I don't actually think they should start saying ages because <laughs> it, would, it would really start exposing things when you found out how old just everyone is and uh, although I don't know actually how old Alexa is it might be worth finding out Alexa's at 22, 23 <laughs> very young she very is, young she has just turned 26 has she? Yeah, so, yeah, just turned 26. So it's, uh, but that's still plenty young. It's still 12 years younger than Mickey, isn't it? So what I'm saying well, is, if you, you could, you could have my, um, Michael Cole or, or Corey Graves or whoever say, look, Mickey's 38. She's been around a bit and she's experienced, but she's not old. That's not old. She's in great shape. Alexa's just young. That's easy for Alexa to say that. So you could talk yourself out of it. Because I, I do find it interesting when they talk about how much experience people have got sometimes. So they going back to um, Finn Balor, you know, they may say that um, they may not say, "Oh, Finn Balor's a young man," but they will talk about how much experience he has. And when you start to say that, you know, the Hardys have been wrestling for 25 years, you go, "Well, I know the Hardys started when they were young, but you know, I think Jeff is 40 and Matt's about 42." So. You know, they did start when they were sort of 15, 16. Don't try this at home, kids, but the Hardy started when they were kids. Um, but you kind of can't have one without the other. Bobby Roode's had 20 years' experience. Well, yeah, because he's 40. Yeah, yeah, um, that's it. So it's tough. It's tough. Well, yep. Um, don't know where to go from here, apart from I'd like to say, could we possibly stop our pay-per-view recap right here and just concentrate on the good bits? What do you mean? Well, for me, you remember when I texted you earlier in the week and said, I'm really enjoying this pay-per-view, it's fantastic. Yes, absolutely, yeah. It was about this point. And for me, after this match, it fell off a cliff. Completely. Okay. Completely. Okay, what we've not done enough then, let's, perhaps we've not been positive enough about what we've done so far. Um, so is it, is it a fair thing to say then that all of these matches so far, so... Uh, Miz and Jordan, Balor and Wyatt, Ambrose and Rollins and Seamus and Zara, Alexa and the other girls. We're all we're, we're, we're thumbs up to all of them, aren't we? We're thumbs up match-wise in terms of watching the match and being entertained by the match quality. Literally all of them. 100%. Until this point, I was ready to say this is the best pay-per-view I've seen in terms of consistent match quality for a decade. I thought it was great. Um, and I thought what was to come was bound to be better or as good. Um, I, I thought they were on to an absolute home run, but no, they um, this is as good as it got, unfortunately. Okay, I, I can I know I think I know where we're going to disagree. Um, <laughs> so do I. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens when we get there. 
Um, but um, yeah, so we've, we've, we've paused as requested. Um, and since we're pausing as requested, um, is this a good time to talk about um, Hookton's potential um, Survivor Series plans? You did tease in last week's podcast that we might have a, a bit more information this week. How are we looking? Are we in a position yeah. to, uh, to, uh, we'll, to tell some more? We'll talk a little bit more about that now. Yeah, I can actually confirm that we've got seven venues lined up for Survivor Series parties. Um, we're going to do... We're actually... We don't normally do Survivor Series parties, traditionally. Um, but seeing as WWE have put a little bit more emphasis on it recently, and obviously the demand for other parties is so great, that we thought we'd give these a go. But we also wanted to use them as an opportunity to say thank you a little bit through the year and give a little bit back. Um, so what we're trying to do as best as possible is to make these either free parties or heavily discounted um, on what we've done previously. So happy to announce that we're going to do seven parties as I mentioned six of those are going to be completely free so if you're coming to see us in Manchester, Leeds Birmingham, Nottingham Bright, uh, not Brighton sorry um, Liverpool or Cardiff um, we're going to be at Shooters there as always and we're not going to ask you for a bean for an entry fee what we are going to ask you for is to buy a ticket with a deposit in advance so we can give the bar an idea of how many people are going to come so we might charge you three four five quid as a ticket and then you'll get that back as a bar token on the night um and that's just simply so the bar aren't putting two bar staff on and having 300 people turn up and being completely swamped and also aren't having 10 bar staff on um twiddling their thumbs all night because 25 people turn up um makes total sense for us all um in London, we're going to be doing another party at the Grand, our second party. We really enjoyed ourselves last year, so we're going to go back for Survivor Series. Um, this one, there is going to be a small charge for. We haven't decided what yet, but it's not going to be as much as we normally charge. We're trying to keep it down to as minimum a, num- a price as possible, but this will be a full hooked-on party um, at the Grand. The other ones are going to be a bit pared down, for honest. We are, obviously, we have got to keep our costs minimalised. But the one at the Grand is going to be a full-on, regular hooked-on party. So, yeah, more details in... Well, certainly by next week, anyway. Excellent stuff. You just... I thought you were going to do a little bit more, and I was just uh, in the process of opening the beer. But well, um, if you, you you finish opening your beer, Rob, and the other thing I'll <laughs> tell people about um, is this week we have had our first um, run of hooked-on uh, T-shirts go on sale. Did you see those? I, I Yes, I yes, I did. Yeah, yes, yeah. so we've we've decided um, again, we've had a few requests in the past for these t-shirts, I'm not going to lie and say it's an overwhelming popular demand we've had a few requests and we thought, you know what, let's give it a go so we've put a few designs together um, and we've got them for sale on our website, so you can pick, we've got five designs um, you can check them all out on hookedonevents.co.uk our store, forward slash store um, five different designs, 20 quid each including postage and packaging in the UK we think they're pretty cool. Um, we'd love to see a few of them worn at some of our parties in the future. Check them out. If you like them, why not do as a solid and buy one? And you never know, if you're, especially if you're at our London venue where Paul and I generally uh, dwell, you never know, we might just be feeling uh, feeling generous. And if we see you in there, if we catch you, if we, you happen to catch us at the bar when you're in one of your jerseys, we might just... Uh, buy you a drink to, uh, to to thank you for your support of Hooked On might be Paul steady on Rob steady on eh <laughs> no, might do might do absolutely or oh, you'll, you'll certainly get the best high five you ever get yes 
that is uh, that's very fair as well. Um, I am particularly fond of the uh, the It's Wrestling Enjoy It um, T-shirts, mainly because um, uh, I don't want to suggest that anything is a, an individual project because it's not everything that Hooked On has ever done, which is from the uh, the early magazine days through to all these parties uh, and to lots of other things. Um, uh, our team efforts, but uh, I will say that the um, the name of Hooked On Wrestling and the little catchphrase of uh, It's Wrestling Enjoy It uh, were, were my ideas, uh, which were accepted by the rest of the group. So the idea of someone putting on sale for 20 quid a t-shirt full of words that I came up with is really, <laughs> really cool. And I, don't, I don't mind saying that. So it was like, when Paul sent me the designs last week, he said, what do you think of these? I was like, bloody hell, I came up with that, and it's on a shirt. So it's... Uh, <laughs> So uh, well, I, I really like that. So that's my that's be one of my uh, my shirt of choice. I think it'll be even cooler when we sell one, mate. Um, my personal favourite, for for obvious reasons, because I'm a massive Jurassic Park nerd, is our Jurassic Park themed hooked on T-shirt. That's good. Uh, as soon as my wife saw them, she went, "There was always going to be a Jurassic Park one," and there wasn't. There. I said, "Yes." I would have shoehorned it in, even if it made no sense whatsoever. But in actual fact, it does look kind of cool. It does, and there's a uh, there's a sort of a, a bullet club looking one, the sort of hooked on club, uh, and there's a the H O W along the lines of the N W O, um, and I've missed one. Um, you're missing the one that I can't think of now either. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> what a polished no. what a polished show this is. Let's have, let's look it up, shall we? It's the um, well. I tell oh. you what, I'll, I'll look it up, and you tell people how they can get hold of one. All right, well, I'll repeat that. You can go to hookedonevents.co.uk forward slash store, um, and they're all for sale there. Like I say, £20, including your postage and your packaging, or your um, shipping, as it's commonly known as nowadays. Is that um, where people can get... Uh, what about tickets to the, um, the, some, the Survivor Series? Not uh, event, available anywhere yet. Oh, we, the ECW ones is the one. The uh, Hooked on Effing Wrestling, of course. Hooked on Effing Wrestling. Uh, um, uh, not available yet, but when they do become available, they'll be available from all the usual places. We'll have more details on that next week. And you're right in what you say about in WWE sort of reinvesting a little bit in the in Survivor Series. I think what's the key about that is they're doing a takeover, aren't they? Um, I'm yes. not sure whether they did or not did one last year or not, but um, they seem to only do takeovers next to big pay-per-views. So you have a takeover before. Um, is, am I right in saying that? Or is, maybe there's, there's a couple more. But yes, feel, yes, and no. It feels the, to me in the that, main you are. It feels to me that they do takeovers for the Rumble, for Mania, and for SummerSlam. So the fact they that they've do, got an, they do five or six a year now. They did one before. Um, I think they did one before Money in the Bank. Yeah, well, but I think Money. I think Money in the Bank is a big pay per view. I agree. I agree. So I think uh, it's, it's up there. So. Yeah, I agree. I think they're doing five a year, and it's 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 for the four cross-brand pay-per-views and money in the bank. Yeah. Okay. Well, then that's um. Oh, and the fact, yeah, the fact that it's cross-brand is another point, isn't it? That it's a yeah. that it's a bigger show. So yeah, it should be it should be a lot of fun. Uh, we hope to see plenty of you uh, at said parties. Um. Okay. Let's get to the second half of No Mercy then. Um. And we'll go into the next match on the card, which is Roman Reigns versus John Cena. Off you go. Oh, man, I really wanted to like this. I really wanted to like this. Um, I'll start with the positive, okay? I loved how John Cena, for the first time in a decade, got properly cheered. Um, properly, properly cheered. Not on ironic. We still got the Cena sucks, but it was clearly done um, with their heart being in the right place. I loved it. And do you know what? I got the biggest smile on my face when they panned to the crowd 
and you saw a sign saying, "If Cena loses, we riot." And he How saw it, didn't he? He, he pointed. Did. He pointed to it and he said, did. "He said you don't see many of those." How cool was that? I just thought it was such. That sign to me was. It was kind of an absolute sort of sort of crystallising of the movement of, of how John Cena is now seen as a beloved character rather than, you know, the old die Cena die. I thought it was like the audience accepting Cena. And I thought it was such a cool moment to see that sign. If Cena loses, we riot. Loved it. Um, then the bell rang. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Bruce. Sorry, guys. But, you know, and I, and I think what it is, right... This they built this this match well. It felt like a big match. Um, I've realised what my problem is though, and I've realised my problem is with Roman Reigns. He's just so bloody dull. Technically, he can have a really good match, but when it comes to these absolute big matches, these real sort of era-defining ones, like against Taker and against Cena, there's no drama. He's not capable of near falls and an exciting finishing sequence. It just plods toward a conclusion. Kick out of a few finishes on each side. Kick out, kick out, kick out. Into a few moves on Reigns' part and then a spear and then he wins. And there's just no drama. It just feels so flat. And that was the problem for me. It felt, it just never really went anywhere, this match. Uh, and, I, and it felt like a typical Roman Reigns main event match um, and I just felt it felt like a complete damp squib yeah I didn't think it ever got going um, it felt to me it's a very timely thing we are starting to get into autumn I looked out the window tonight at half past seven it was dark it's that time of year the leaves are falling from the trees and if you're in a on a nice Sunday afternoon as this today was and you're walking through the park and it's a nice wooded area you may well find remember them from your childhood a few conkers lying around. Remember uh, this time of year, and you'd get conkers, and you'd take them into school, and you'd all have a little go when you're at break time. I've got a 24er. No, you haven't. Lying bastard. Bang. Hurt my finger. All of that stuff that you used to do when you were a kid. This was like the wrestling equivalent of conkers. It was like one <laughs> of them would stand there, and the other one would go, bang, here's a move, bang. Okay, I'll stand here, you'll go. <laughs> And it just oh, felt like the, the last, at some point, someone's conquer was going to break, and someone's conquer broke, and it was the end of the match. And you went, okay. There's a reason, folks, that Conquers is not live on Sky. It's not <laughs> It's not exciting. It's probably on Eurosport. But, um, in fact, it was probably on Satanta. It's probably why it went tits up. But, <laughs> generally speaking, Conquers is boring unless you're playing it. And this, to me, just felt like, you hit me. No, you hit me. Okay, yeah, you hit me. Well done. I'll hit you now. It felt so... I didn't. I didn't massively dislike it. Uh, you know, there were. I expected a lot better. I expected a lot better of Cena. And I'm not knocking Cena necessarily as just. You know, it's not saying it's his fault. But I've seen Cena have better matches with worse wrestlers. Yeah. And and I I, I thought. Uh, you just maybe Cena just went okay. Well, if I'm losing, I'll just. I'll go through what I'm supposed to go through. And then the, the story was still Cena afterwards with the little tease of. Is that him finished? And, you know, we talked last week, did we not, about whether or not Roman could, you know, if he, we were going to see heel Roman, we could see heel Roman saying, I've, I've ended Undertaker's career and now I've ended, ended Cena's. But we didn't. We got a very humble Roman on Monday saying, I've got a lot of respect for John Cena. And any of us that had the slightest inkling that maybe this was heel Roman have just had that snatched from under us. Yep. So, um, 
it just everyone feels worse I think I just think we feel that was not a mixed reaction you know that was not Hogan and Warrior that was not some people like Hogan some people like Warrior most people like both we can't decide who we like most that was that was the very definition for a lot of people of the lesser of two evils Um, it was a put simply an absolute mess of a reaction because even afterwards there was cheers for Cena but it wasn't a massive this is inappropriate but I call that the Benoit reaction because they used to do that with Benoit all the time have him you know fight really valiantly but lose but then slowly get to his feet and look around while everyone was cheering and they do it quite a lot with quite a lot of people it's not just Benoit but they did it with him quite a lot and you know they, you've seen them do it with with plenty before but there wasn't that same reaction for Cena it was like well some of us will clap him and the rest of us will sort of begrudgingly go yeah okay mate but I didn't feel it was a beloved you know over the top I thought his reactions were out of kilter with what was actually being done behind him and I just felt I just felt the whole way through everything was just so tone deaf uh, that, yep. that's the problem with it all it's just it's it's not reflecting reality and they'll go a mixed reaction for Reigns and it's like no it's not they're just all no, booing no. him it's it. this is we have got to stop comparing those two it is not the same. Cena, his entire career, got cheers. His entire career. There were some people that were staunch John Cena fans, whether they were grown-up men, whether they were, the, whether they were kids, whether they were you know, new kids coming through, whether it was women, whatever the demographic was, there were people that were Cena for life, and they stuck with him. There were others that loved him, then hated him for a bit when it was cool, then liked him when they realised that he was better than they realised. That doesn't really make a lot of sense as an English sentence, but you know what I'm saying. But this yep. is this is hatred for Reigns. It is hatred. It is we don't accept him. We don't like him. We don't want to watch him. We don't think he's any good. Because that was always the thing with Cena was that he can't wrestle. And then quite after a little while, you know, those people saying he can't wrestle were like people saying, you know, Arsenal were crap. And it's like, well. All right, they might be fourth in the league and struggling, but they're not crap, are they? And it's like not compared to X, Y, Z. And sure. it's, it just feels like those people got one round when it came to Cena, and just they're not going to get one round when it comes to Reigns because he's just not good enough, and he's not he's not over enough with the people that need to be on his side to get him through to be called controversial or whatever the word they used for Cena, you know, each week. You know, divisive or, or whatever. And the thing has always been, oh, at least you're getting a reaction. It's like, mm, I'm not totally with that if it's completely the opposite reaction of what is being presented. And I think this is the. I've defended Reigns a lot, and I've defended WWE a lot, and I've said that, you know, fans can be a bit over the top, blah, blah, blah. But this is the worst 48 hours they've ever had with him. Yeah, because agreed. it was not even close to getting a cheer against Cena. He didn't look good in the match. And then, frankly, he just looked like an, they were trying to portray him as really cool on Raw. And he just came across as a prick. And not a cool one. Not a cool put-down prick like Kevin Owens. He just came across like an ass to The Miz. And it was like, he had no real reason to be doing that. And he was meant to be funny. And there were a couple of lines where he went, oh, okay, that's not bad. But generally speaking, he was just a prat. Well, that's that is you know the problem. The fans had already decided that they didn't want Roman Reigns because of how far he's being pushed down our throats anyway. But the fact is, he's not he's not a nice dude. He's clearly an arrogant pos, and um, that's Point what comes sale. across. 
<laughs> yeah, that's the one. Uh, uh, and I just don't think I don't think he's likable in any way. And uh, he's so utterly miscast. And the, this utter obsession, because make no mistake, it's an obsession of Vince McMahon's to get him over as the top babyface in the company is not going to go well and it's dragging down the entire company and it will be turning off fans in their droves um, he's just not ever going to be that guy ever he's had three Wrestlemania main events now in a row um, three there's not many guys that can claim that and he's still at a point where he's just not over you know how could you possibly say this guy's got three Wrestlemania main events under his belt and he's not an absolute all time megastar he's not even over he's not even the best he's not even the most liked or biggest draw in the current on the current roster it's a really poor situation and it's not going to get any better just wonder when they're going to cut their losses like you know it's not even like the guy's that good looking anymore he's not really even a poster boy anymore he looks rough he looks like the the time on the road is taking its toll and not to sound too harsh but you know Samoan jeans they don't they don't age well um, in terms of staying svelte and in, in great athletic shape they tend to balloon um, those guys in later life and Reigns is already showing signs of that I think he's already hit his peak I think it's only going to go down from here and I just cannot understand why they persist with what they're doing um, it can only be um, belligerence. Belligerence is, is a great word. Uh, it's a better word than I was coming up with. Yeah, that's that's all it can be. I was just going to say stubbornness. But yeah, but it's just we are going to do this, and I am going to insist. On... I hate to say this because I would never wish this on anybody, but goodness me, if there was ever a time for anyone to t- tear an ACL. <laughs> and I, 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 I mean that's a horrible thing to say because I don't want the man to have physical pain and a, and a threat to his livelihood or or anything like that. I really don't. Um, so, I, but imagine if he got injured and he just had to go away for nine months, and what they could do without him. The thing they would be forced to think differently. They would be forced to change WrestleMania, and there's just so much more they could. And you wouldn't miss him, and they would realise that they they don't miss him. And then actually you could bring him back hot. You know, you might just get six months out of him as a returning hooray baby face because you could get a hooray we miss him pop out of the kids even though the grown-ups would still hate him. Or you could bring him back as a, as a hot heel or you, you could have a rethink or whatever. But I just... It would be the best thing for everyone. If you, You've been talking about it with Bray Wyatt. It would, be, it would work for, for, for Roman. They're not going to do it. And like I say, I'm not really want to wish injury on people, but it would, in some ways, you feel like it's the only, the only way he's not going to get featured in that prominent position. And I hate him just being that prat that just goes along with the crowd. But it's if they can't see it now, they they obviously don't care. They don't care now. They are just going to present something, and you're going to like it or you're not going to like it. And that's just the way yep. it is. So yeah, agreed. Agreed. So all those all those times where Triple H has stood in the ring as a as a baby face and said, "We do it for you guys. You're the most important people." And he points around the room, the WWE universe. You tell us what you want, blah blah blah. And it's like, well, it's 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 utter crap. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just not, not true. true. It's not true. It's just not so, true. 
It's a um, line, it's a buzzword, it's simply not true. Yep. And actually it doesn't help because you know, I was very critical um of the fans' reaction with the whole Daniel Bryan stuff because I felt that it, it was a real you know, okay, you didn't get what you wanted, but it was a real foot stomping pathetic, you know, I'm leaving, hashtag boycott the network and it was like behave. It, I, that was, yeah. I thought that was a pathetic reaction, but um, this is different. This is, I don't like this guy. I'm, you know, within my rights to boo. This is totally different to what I was talking about earlier on when I was saying about who you're booing and who you're cheering. If you think someone's terrible, boo the guy. That's fine. It's absolutely fine, especially if they're a babyface. And um, you know, even even better still, maybe go quiet. That might that might now be the thing to do. I'd love to push her some sort of. Um, you know, push a thing around the internet and literally every time Roman Reigns comes out, silence. Just make no noise. Don't boo. Don't chant. Just go quiet. Maybe Amazing. Even, maybe even turn your back. How about that? I think that's the only thing that could work, mate. I really, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. Total silence. Who can we turn talk to? Backs, you're absolutely right. If, if, if everyone just went for a toilet, for a mass toilet break. Yeah, just all got up and went... Um, wrestling memes. He's our friend, and he listens to the podcast. Old, old memesy. Um, yep. t- tell him, get him on the case, and anyone else that we can feel their uh, influences in the in social well, media. That's the new thing. I'll... Silence for <laughs> reigns. I'll, 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 I'll maybe keep that one to myself, mate. I, I do value my WWE relationship, so I'm not going to advocate a mass boycott of their top star, but I would certainly not argue against it. Okay, that's a, that's a very sensible business <laughs> reaction from you there. <laughs> which I, which I hadn't leave, thought through. I'll leave um, that one to you, mate. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, moving on. Uh-huh. Uh, so it gets better. Oh, Enzo Amore. Oh, Enzo uh, Amore. Oh. Uh, defeating uh, Neville. For uh, <laughs> If there was ever an example of my hatred for uh, people with one name. Neville. <laughs> Neville, yeah. <laughs> they Still that, better than, that, he, he better than be Adrian Neville. Adrian Neville, of course, which was the uh, his original name. Goodness me. But uh, yes, there's Enzo Amore, um, and he's now the cruiserweight champion. And I think we can skip the not skip the match. We'll talk about the match a little bit, but we'll quite quickly go on to the uh, the close of Raw, which was the cruiserweights taking over for 20 minutes, which was the oddest end to Raw I've seen in a long 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 time um, let's start with the, we'll start with the match itself um, this match according to uh, the timings on the, on the Wikipedia page this match went 10 minutes 40 this was longer than the main event it was longer than the 5 way women's match it was longer than the Miz's Intercontinental title match it was only a minute shorter than Finn Balor versus Bray Wyatt they, they invented, this was the 4th longest match on the show and only just a minute behind the 3rd longest um, goodness me! Um, it just seems such a strange thing to do all round here. That apparently Enzo's meant to be in the doghouse in reality, and but what's his character? He's coming out and he's being a prat, but then he's doing some funny lines, and then everyone's supposed to hate him. And but I, I don't get this. Am I missing something? Maybe. Um, the match was crap. I thought it was. I thought it was really poor. Um. Just, I just, Enzo Amore is a bad wrestler. Um, there's not no two ways about it. And Neville, for all his skills, he's not a guy that can that can bring it out of someone who just doesn't 
have any sort of discernible skill. Not he like that, because never... here's the thing, sorry to cut you off, but here's the thing. Neville, by his nature, as pack all over the world, is a flashy superstar. Yep. He's, he's done really, really well. I think it's a bit cartoony, his whole King of the Cruiserweights and the way he talks and everything, but I think part of that is trying to have him do a character speaking because of his Geordie accent being so strong. Definitely, it is. So they're trying to make him sound different so that you can understand him that bit better, which is fair. But he has wrestled the style to fit his character, which is nowhere near as flashy as he can be. And so mm-hmm. it's difficult because naturally he goes to the top and people want to see a flashy finisher and they will pop. So he's trying to do different things. And fair play to him for all that. Um, and I will allow you to carry on in a sec. But it's just... If you're going to have someone do that, you're naturally cutting down what they can do. So then when you put Enzo, yep. ostensibly as a babyface, therefore, you're restricting what Neville can do, and he can't carry the guy. But is Enzo meant to be a babyface? It, to me, it's so twisted. Well, let's put it this way. Um, bearing in mind what you've just said, I think you're very soon going to see the return of more flashy Neville. Um, whilst I didn't enjoy that match at all... I did appreciate and enjoy the finale to Raw, and I'm well. There's no, I don't. It's any ambiguity at all. It was a double turn. Um, it was a double turn, and it was a very, very timely and well done one. You know, Enzo More is not liked by anybody really outside of the merch buying kids now, so they just went with it. They turned him into a douchebag arsehole, and I heard a few people saying, "Well, how can it be a turn because he just insulted people like he normally does?" The difference being was the cowardliness, which Enzo's never shown before. There was that clause in his contract that he had Kurt Angle sign about the um, about the no title shots if anyone touched him. That is out and out heel. There is no face that would ever do that. That is a heel move. He is a heel. Um, and Neville coming out, defending the division, which I, I never like it when divisions all band together. So I wasn't particularly keen on that. But that moment where he's the beauty of this again it's investment in his character for a year almost we've, we've, he's been investing in how much that title means to him it defines him as a character it is without it he is less of a man in that character's eyes and he gave up voluntarily the chance to ever win that belt back off Enzo Amore to put him in his place that is a face my friend um, and it was a great double turn and I suspect that it will be the making of a great character, great face run for Neville, or at least a great face character. Depends what they do with him. And they've got an antagonistic little shit of a heel in Enzo. So I thought it was really well done. It was weird to see it in the main event, but I suppose it had to be there to accomplish what it needed to be and have that impact. Um, and I thought, yeah, hats off to everyone involved. I thought it's, it was a good entertaining segment and it leaves them in a good place coming out of it. What... Um... What would you do with... Sorry, sorry, no, I'll take a step back. What, who would you say, if you said that Enzo and Neville are numbers one and two in the Cruiserweight division, who mm. would be three, four, and five? In no particular order, but who would be the, the next tier of, of stars in the 205 division? I would say Cedric Alexander. I would say Jack Gallagher. And I would say probably Brian Kendrick, maybe. Okay. Um, I would like to have seen... Because here's the thing that I... 
I would say, um, you know, possibly Tazawa. I would have had a, above a couple of the ones uh, yeah. that you mentioned there. I think maybe you're uh, right ahead of Kendrick. And uh, yeah, and maybe the fact that they mentioned there was a couple of people that um, that Amore actually had a go at, didn't he? He had a go at um, Rich Swan and Cedric and Gallagher and Naam Dar and whatever Grand Metalik. And there's a few that he actually spoke to, and a couple of them are non-anglophones. But you know what I would have liked to have seen? I I felt that the big problem I had with the segment was that it told the raw audience there is Enzo who you know anyway and he's no good uh, and there's Neville who you know is good because you see him beat people every week and then that's it it told you that the rest of the crowd are just interchangeable little fellas I don't mean the rest of the crowd the rest of the roster are yeah. interchangeable little fellas that stand on the stage and then when Enzo has a go at them they go, they just nod their head and smile and go okay mate and do very little about it. Neville's the guy. Everyone else is nothing. And at some point, you're going to have to do something other than Amore and Neville. I would have liked to have seen two other microphones in that crowd. I would like Neville to have had his shout at Enzo and for Rich Swan to have gone, yeah, you're right, Neville. You and I have not ever seen eye to eye, but you're right. Enzo, you're blah, 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 blah. And then Cedric Alexander goes, I agree. You've done this. You've disrespected me and all of these people, blah, blah, blah. I might not like to like some of these, but it, I'd have liked to see at least two or three of them go, Neville's right. I don't like Neville necessarily. Or we've not seen eye to eye, but he's right. And then you've got a little bit of a unit and you've got also got a few that have got enough bollocks to step forward and speak as well. And it just, to me, defined everyone down as it was, it was A, B, and then C to Z. Yep. I agree and, completely, and and that's a problem because you're going to at some point try to have other contenders and and whatever, um, and I I think the careers of all of those people are essentially defined at this point and can go no further until they either repackage and like just appear on SmackDown or they go back to NXT and they have a bit of a run to build themselves back up again. But there is not a single person, I'll give you the list of people that is um, it's on Wiki as being the entire roster, but Tazawa, Arya Davari, Kendrick, Cedric Alexander, Drew Gulak, Grand Metalik, Jack Gallagher, Lindsay Dorado, Mustafa Ali, Neville, Noam Dar, Rich Swan, TJ Perkins and Tony Nese. There is not a single one of those that I think has got a big career ahead of them, apart from Neville. Harsh. Not, not, harsh. not one. Not one. And it's not because of their talent. It's because they've just been put in that position. There is no, there's no road for them. I can see someone else being added to it. I can see Roderick Strong being a good addition to that because I don't ever see Strong being a, a big star because he's not, got, he's not got personality enough. But Strong could go into that, um, into that division and be outstanding, and and really develop it. And there are other people that could maybe be put into it or drop down into it. Um, you know, they're on the main rosters, but that are small enough to be believable. Um, you know, going into there. But I just feel that. All of those people on that on that roster have been defined as being just one of those guys on 205 Live. I don't see any breakouts there. I think, I, I sent, I, although I wouldn't put it in as strong a terms as you have, I do agree with your point. I, just, I really hate it when divisions and groups of people, you know, brands and whatnot, band together arbitrarily just to fight some nonsense score like you know when you've got these bragging rights pay-per-views and the Raw and Smackdown rosters come together for what no reason whatsoever drives my nuts drives my nuts and it's a similar thing here it would have worked just as well with Neville 
there by himself. He didn't have to be there with the whole division, like you say, pegging them as weaker. And it doesn't help because, you know, where do you go from here? You've got a guy, Jack Gallagher, being the one that keeps bringing to my mind. Not two weeks before, he'd been given this big heel turn out of nowhere, turning from sort of a comedy gentleman into a vicious Jack the Ripper style heel. Now what? Now what do you do? You know, he's like, you know, where do you go with him now? Um, it's it's really tricky. It really is, and I think they need to give him some distance to make that work. Um, I think they will. I, I I if they no, I'll rephrase that. I think they will if they want to. It's not terminal like maybe you think it is. I think it can be brought back from, but I'm less confident that they'll actually bother to do so. It probably will just become. The Enzo Amore and revolving Challenge of the Week show, unfortunately. Yeah, I think it might be. And it's um, uh, to answer one of your questions there, where do they go with Jack Gallagher? Well, if they're going to have someone carry around a brolly and then make them into Jack, Jack the Ripper, they could just fucking hire Marty Scott <laughs> and just get it over with. But um, that's not to say I don't like Gallagher, but bloody hell. Um, I know, it's pretty blatant, isn't it? But yeah, I, mean, I just, I think there's a, you know, uh, 205 is just going to uh, all the other thing you can do really is, is drop some other people in it so you know just Chuck Ellsworth in there you know he's fed, I'm fed up with him now on Smackdown it's like he could be in there and do a little bit more and you know and you could put Callisto back in there and just like it's, there's other things you can do to that division as well as bringing people in from NXT and just try and liven it but I just feel like all they've done is do you remember in the old days when you would have your, your Salvatore Sinceres yeah. and uh, your people like that that would have um, three matches where they beat jobbers and got a little bit of a character over and then they would just start getting beat every week so it was jobbers but there was jobbers that were on the roster do you see what I mean rather yep. than just being yep. uh, Barry Horowitz or or Dwayne Gill every week um, you would have someone that had a personality and then they got beat I think they called them jobbers to the stars that's right um, yeah I feel like the whole of the 205 roster is that guy until they suddenly decide, oh, we want Mustafa Ali to be the challenger. And then so Mustafa Ali has two great weeks where he does some flashy stuff and you go, oh, he's really good. And then, But then the next time you need, I don't know, Tony Nese to be the, the challenger, then Tony Nese just beats Mustafa Ali and suddenly Mustafa Ali's crap again because Tony Nese needs pushing. And it's... I just... It just always strikes me of short-term thinking, but... The positioning. What about the positioning? That segment in itself on Raw was interesting enough. What about positioning it last? What, what, is the, what was that for? Was that for just to do something different? Did they think they were going to get their ass kicked by Monday Night Football anyway, so they just did something bizarre? Like, what was the thinking? I just think it's because um, they they needed it to be in that position to have the impact, I think, personally. Nothing more to it. Um, they have they've done certain things recently where they've put different divisions in that main event slot because they don't want it to get its ass kicked and momentum of the show generally dips into the third hour anyway so you know the main event of Raw isn't what it used to be it's not the be all and end all um, so I, I, just, I just think it is one of them one of them things I wouldn't read too much into fair enough um, let's wrap it up then let's go on to um the main event Brock Lesnar versus Braun Strowman I have to say I actually thought at one point Braun Strowman was going to come out and basically tear up the entire 205 live division I thought you might get Strowman wipe out every single one of them 
um, <laughs> but uh, which I wouldn't have been approving of, but uh, would have been quite funny in some ways. Uh, but here we go, Braun, Braun Strowman being Braun again, um, just doing the same thing, battering Lesnar, making him look weak. Uh, Lesnar hits an F5 and it's over. Well, yeah, what, you've pretty much covered it there, haven't you? What do you say? I say, what the hell was that all about? You know, you've got the most over guy that they've made organically and naturally in years in Braun Strowman. We did this podcast last week, mate, and we said the one thing that they shouldn't do and the one thing they won't do is have a Brock Lesnar winning clean. Um, not only did they win clean, it stayed in a ring. It was a very, it was a match that played to neither guy's strengths. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was just an absolute non-event. It was, it was like a box ticking exercise. They were like, like, as we alluded to earlier about Lesnar having these opponents lined up before he gets to Reigns. Yep right he needs to go through Strowman okay tick that box minimum effort um, Strowman will recover I'm not going to give the hyperbole too much Strowman's good enough and they they believe in enough that he will recover quickly it's not going to do any long term damage to him but what a bloody wasted opportunity considering how good the Joe Lesnar match was considering how good the SummerSlam match was just a nothingness um, and a real cheat you know I've, I felt really let down I was so looking forward to this match and I ended up just coming out going meh next forget it um I think slightly differently not okay. hugely dif- not hugely differently um I am surprised that they went where they went with the match in terms of having it be so so forgettable I didn't think it was terrible, but I thought it was largely forgettable. I didn't yeah. actually, di- I didn't actually disagree with how they rough- the- how they roughly went about it. But I understand that there is a difference between, you know, matches for the being short for the sake of it, being long for the sake of it. Um, but one of the reasons I bring up Enzo Amore and Neville going ten minutes forty is that the main event was nine minutes. Uh, mm-hmm. And now I don't always want to, you know, a bad match is a bad match, is a bad match. So I'd rather see a bad match for three minutes than I would for 33, you know, so you don't waste half an hour of my life. However, sometimes just for the sake of it feeling epic, you can draw these things out a little bit. Now, part of the problem comes is that these guys are going to be, similar to Goldberg, is big move, big move, big move, big move, big move, big move. And there's only so many places you can go. You can't do the sort of slow dance around one another, quick reversal, headlock, you know, trip, ride, come back out. You know, you can't you can't do all that with these two because they're going to go mm. headlong and smash into one another. But it just felt it felt a bit short. It felt like neither of them did masses of damage to one another. But I like the fact that Strowman had much of the um, offense, and I like that the, the the finish came kind of out of nowhere. I think F5 should be protected the same way that Orton has matches where he's under pressure and then he hits the RKO, and you know it's over. They protect that RKO, they really do, but they don't. They don't protect any other big move anymore. And so, I liked the fact that the F5 beat Strowman clean. I think Lesnar is better than Strowman. I think he's worth more to the company than Strowman. I want to watch him more than Strowman. I'm happy that he was protected. And if my main event for WrestleMania, rightly or wrongly, is going to be Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns, then this was the right decision. It was the right booking decisions. It was the right way of playing out decision. I have no problem with the ending. I do have a problem with that we have seen 
Strowman absolutely annihilate Lesnar once and send him to the back and look unbelievable against him. And this time we saw Strowman being broadly on top and batter him a little bit and then Lesnar came back. I would have liked to have seen something not dangerous, but there, there surely could have been a way of making this no holds barred and having them brawl through the crowd or brawl backstage or make it falls count anywhere or just do throw some... I'm not big on throwing in a gimmick, but if it protects the, the, the competitors, you could have made this... Didn't Reigns and Strowman have a... An have ambulance a match, match? No, not the ambulance match. Didn't they have one before which went all over the place? Or was it Joe and Strowman? <coughs> Excuse me. Strowman's had a match where he, he, he wrestled... All, I'm sure it was with Roman. Yeah, it was. He wrestled, he wrestled all over the building and you know, it, yeah, still turned, right. it, it still turned into a really good match. And I, they could have gone to that crutch again. I think it would have been better. And I, that was my disappointment, was that you didn't go, oh, that was a bit, a bit of a match. I'm okay with the finish. I'm okay with the booking. I'm okay with the F5. I'm okay with pretty much everything, except I thought they could have had a better match. And it would have made Strowman feel like more of a, a top main event guy. Because if you're just doing things on performance, forget all the intricacies of who wins and, and pushes and stuff. If you're just going on performance, you say, Strowman had a main event match and it wasn't very good. And it's, it's, a, it's a black mark against him going forward because you can I've argued with you with this all year. There's only so much you can do with Braun Strowman. That, that character has only got a certain shelf life. In the past, that character was brought in for Hogan or Taker to beat and then they were gone forever. Um now or they turn into the comedy sidekick like uh, like Kamala or you know Vladimir Kozlov or something um, Strowman has been better than any of those guys and he's done really well and he's deserved it but there's only so far you can keep on taking that and I thought it was a real disappointment for him that I now think okay you want to keep him having big matches but who's he going to wrestle because he can only really wrestle big guys that are going to be credible to beat him up and if he doesn't, it's just squashes, and that's not very interesting. So you can only really go back to Lesnar and Reigns again. I, I, I'm stuck on what you can do with Strowman now, unless you start to have up-and-coming tough baby faces. Like, say you were trying to get Samoa Joe over as a baby face, you have Joe beat him clean. That's uh, to me. He is now shifted to he'll be the next enhancement guy, like at the next. You called it a gatekeeper earlier on with Nia Jax. The next gatekeeper for when they, they decide to have Finn Balor go for a title match, Finn Balor somehow beats Braun Strowman. Like, I, I, I couldn't disagree more. I I think, in fact, Strowman's path is very different and, and, and almost unique. I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, but I I honestly think he's the next phenom of, of the WWE. You know, the, spe, the next special attraction. There's a lineage... Yeah. There's a lineage, and it goes Andre the Giant, Undertaker, and then there's a void. And I think, genuinely, that Strowman is going to fill that void. But to do that, normal rules can't apply to him. He can't be the guy that's in there every week. He has to be the guy that takes time off, that is, a, you know, almost like Lesnar is now, in a way. I was just going to say, you're describing Lesnar. Lesnar's that like guy, Le not, not Strowman. Well, Lesnar's the guy. No, I don't think he is. I really don't think he is. I think... Because Lesnar will only work with the top guys. Strowman can, can come in, he can work TVs, he can work programs. There's no restrictions on it, but you don't have to feel the obligation to be putting him in play after play. Um, and I just think you need to be 
so careful with him because you've got such a potential asset and I don't I, I'm, I'm okay with him losing to Lesnar I honestly am because like you say Lesnar needs to be kept strong I do think he should have been protected more I don't think he should have fallen down to 1F5 because he's he's too badass for that but um, I think he's got a big future ahead of him if they want him to have that future and if they handle him right um, he's got he's such a presence he's so unique as a character um, the, the sky's the limit but he doesn't have to be champion to do that he doesn't even need to be champion this year or next year or even the year after he can he can wait he can he can be the guy that breezes through guys in the mid card and just is an absolute destroyer and a presence and then when the time's right when there's nobody else then you can make him the champion in my opinion yeah well um, you're right we have done this before and so let's not uh, sure let's not let's not, do, let's not do it again but um I just, I think that there is just there is just it's just a fact that there are certain shelf lives on on certain characters. Now I'm not saying that I can't say it is a fact that I'm right and you're wrong, but I'm saying it's a fact that you can look back and see other characters and once they are beaten and once they are shown to be mortal, you know, and it's one it was one of the knocks on the Goldberg unbeaten streak. And so if you look at all of those kind of wrestlers in the past and and that their their trajectory is you know, beat them up, badass, knock them out of the way, and you. So they are your Goldbergs, and they are your Lesnars the first time round, and they're your Goldbergs the second time round. But they're also your, you know, your Strowmans, and they're your, even even your your Kozlovs and your Rusevs and the people that are brought in, and they are Ultimate Warrior is another one. If you bring them in and you're big guys and all they can do is batter someone and win quickly, um. Uh, bloody what's he called what was your mate called that you loved and he's now gone Skip Sheffield uh, they Ryback. Ry- Ryback right Ryback's the same once Ryback was beaten well what do you do with Ryback because they're one trick ponies they're not good wrestlers Braun Strowman is not a good wrestler I, I will dif- I will absolutely agree with you that he's way surpassed what he should have done he's done a good job with the character that he, he is and he is better now than he used to be he has improved a great deal but he's not a good wrestler he's not as good as any of the guys on 205 Live that I've just slagged off right but that's not the point, because neither is Hogan, and he's the biggest star ever. The point is is that Hogan was that baby face that kept on winning and, and was the hero. The nasty heel, in particular, that cuts a swathe through, at some point has to get knocked down, or the undefeated guy, at some point, has to lose their match. And it is so hard to get that same lightning in the bottle back again, because the, the greatest stars of all time have been able to come back and they're people like Flair and they're people like Sean and they're people like Brett and they're others that can come back and they can have great matches and they can get around it. Taker is more like Hogan than anyone else in the sense that you can do these things to Taker and have him come back again because you've got this sort of mystical quality about him. Taker's career was never about undefeated streaks and beating people up. If anything, Taker was the guy getting beaten up. After these first couple of years, once they turned him babyface... All, all Taker did for about three years was wrestle monsters. Mm-hmm. And he, he was the monster slayer. He wasn't the monster. You're talking about him being the phenom. You're talking about Strowman being the phenom. Well, actually, the phenom, to gain his popularity, was wrestling people bigger than him or fatter than him or whatever. So you went from under... Obviously, he was a big star, you know, wrestling against uh, Hulk Hogan and winning the title and it getting held up and all that. But once it got turned over... 
and he beat Jake Roberts at a WrestleMania, you were, you're talking about Kamala, and you're talking about King Kong Bundy, and you're talking about um, Giant Gonzalez, and you're talking about Yokozuna. That's how Undertaker got over as, quote, the phenom. Fair and enough. So, you, you can't bring in bigger people than Braun Strowman to make him that character. I'll, I'll see your, your Andre comparison, but then Andre's big thing was going away and then coming back again and basically it was also his big thing was never wrestling for the title Andre was never the same again after Wrestlemania 3 that's fine because he was getting older and he was only had a certain amount of time that he could do it sure. for but there was once Andre lost to Hogan in fact if I want to make that comparison once Andre lost to Hogan he was done for as a yep. top 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 level draw he could then do some stuff with Warrior and try and get Warrior over he could turn babyface again and be but once he turned babyface again he was in the corner of the bloody bushwhackers yeah of course yeah so I, I think if you want to make that comparison to Andre go right ahead I think it's a better comparison than you realise and it's not the one you're intending to make <laughs> because actually well, I think he's got to the top of his level and I now think he's done for well let's see time will tell my friend um all I'll say is that I've been right on Braun more than you have so far. That so is true. We'll, that is so true. So we'll see. But a year ago, he was still basically, you know, just coming off the back of being Bray Wyatt's lackey uh, and wasn't getting anywhere. By the way, when we were talking right near the start of the show about um, factions, stables, that's the last one that got it right. Very true. Very the true. Wyatt, the Wyatt family. Now, what came out of it? Might have been a bit slipshod in terms of what's happened with um, Luke Harper, stop start, Rowan injured, Strowman doing his own thing, but that was a successful um, franchise as a as a group, and it's a good explanation that Wyatt had people to do his bidding just as Miz did, but when someone was needing to get to Bray Wyatt, they had to go through Eric Rowan and Luke Harper, which is not quite the same as going through Bo Dallas, even though he is in the same actual in the same family as Bray Wyatt. Um, which is complicated. Um, have we covered it all, mate? Are we all the way through the uh, the pay-per-views? Anything else you want to uh, bring up, no mercy-wise? No, mate, I think we're there. I think we've covered it. I think, you know, just to very, very, very briefly conclude, um, because people will be sick of the sound of our voices now, I just thought it was such a pay-per-view of two halves. I was so disappointed it ended in the last three matches the way it did. I, I was really, really enjoying myself with the expectation of that carrying on, and they just couldn't have couldn't have done the three last matches worse in my opinion so um, let's hope that you know if anything you want that trend to be flipped on its head you don't mind the first few matches have been a bit rough if if it ends well um, I've left with a, a thumbs down on this occasion unfortunately yeah I, I think generally speaking um, I'm not as I mean this might be a, a, a general life thing actually but I'm not quite as up on the start as you were and I'm not quite as down on the end as you were I think I tend to be a little bit more in the middle where you tend to be a little bit more high and low than me but I think that's a, perhaps yep. more of a, a character thing of how we are um, but uh, I, the thing is always about recommendation I think with pay-per-views is it was it a good show meaning would you say to someone who is a wrestling fan go and spend your you know three hours of your life watching it and I would say no you didn't miss anything historic you didn't miss any you know there were good matches but the beauty of the network you'd say Go and watch Sheamus and Cesaro versus um, Ambrose and Rollins. Worth watching that match. But even the, the other matches, even though they were fine, like the, the five-way with the girls and the Miz and, and whatever, they were fine. You're not missing anything. You know, just I'll just tell you that I'll tell you that Finn beat Bray 
and on we go. Your life hasn't changed. You didn't need to watch that pay-per-view. You could read the results and you could move on, whereas sometimes you need to see someone's character development, don't you? You It was actually probably probably more important that you watched Raw than you watched the pay-per-view in terms of the development of some of the characters. Yep, agreed. Good stuff. Well, well, let's uh, let's, while we're still um, agreeing and talking to one another, let's um, end the (laughs) podcast uh, at this stage. Um, Remember, folks, keep an eye on our social media. Paul's going to tell you where you can uh, see that in just a second uh, for more and more info on Survivor Series. As we speak, I think I can work it out that it's... uh, I think it's seven weeks away, I think. Um, but it might be you know, it might be eight, but I think it's seven weeks from uh, the point that we are speaking. Um, so that there will, in the next couple of weeks, be some developments in terms of uh, where you can get your tickets and so forth. So Paul will tell you what the uh, social media details are right now. I will indeed. You can catch us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash HO Wrestling. Or you can get us on Twitter at HO underscore Wrestling. You can indeed, so keep an eye out for those and uh, maybe even go and get yourself uh, a nice Hooked On shirt from hookedonevents.co.uk or find some more information there uh, about who we are. Um, That's about it for now. We will be back at some point uh, before next Sunday because it will be the... uh, the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view. We've deliberately not talked about that. Uh, and we realised that uh, last week we didn't even get round to an item on the agenda, which was the Kevin Owens-Vince McMahon uh, hard way headbutt, as we're calling it. Um, but we will cover all that, all of the stuff on the uh, the SmackDown side of things uh, before next Sunday's pay-per-view. Um, like we've often said here, we're not in the business of necessarily going pay-per-view rundown, pay-per-view review, pay-per-view you know preview. It's not really our thing, but they're coming so thick and fast at the moment because we're going to get that one and then we're going to get TLC and then we're going to get Survivor Series and by the time we get to Survivor Series I think there will have been four pay-per-views in the space of eight or nine weeks um, and then we can start uh, revving our engines towards the Rumble I suppose well, there'll, there'll probably be one in between in December what am I missing in December? which used to be Armageddon I don't know what it is now good question um, doesn't matter doesn't matter at all but no. um, yeah we've got a few weeks we'll, I look forward to covering next week mate, because I want to, the other thing I want to talk about is the just a little bit is it coming Starcade pay-per-view uh, no oh, of sorry course. house show house show sorry the Starcade house show is, that going to be on, is it going to be on the network I would imagine so Can, I can't imagine they don't do that but it's not nothing's been said so far no it's a strange one isn't it but uh, I sometimes think it's just let's just use the WCW name just to uh, you know, the, you know, the, whole, the whole revival of the Great American Bash was not exactly in the uh, no the, the original spirit of it I think they're bringing back Starcade just for our friends at the Because WCW podcast, uh, just to help drop, <laughs> jump up some interest for for those lads. So uh, if you haven't if you haven't let, yet listened to the debut edition of Because WCW uh, with our friend Dean Ayas, who's been on the show several times, with even my guest co-host a couple of weeks ago, uh, that's now live on uh, Apple Podcasts and all over the place. It's called Because WCW, and the first uh, show that they covered was the uh, the 1997 Starcade, uh, the the uh, debut of Bret Hart as a uh, Imagine that. Imagine having the hottest star in the whole world and debuting him as a referee in a match between Eric Bischoff and Larry Zbysko. And also it's the uh, the show which had uh, Sting and Hogan, the end of one of the greatest feuds in the history of wrestling that came to an end with a, uh, the, uh, the, the merest fizzle out rather than the huge bang. So um, those lads cover the... Uh, the, the funny side of WCW for what other side is there 
um, over at the Because WCW podcast. That sounds like we've, I've been given a paid plug, and actually it's just because my mate. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> this is one of those points where you go, hmm, do, do, uh, do those lads really believe in the Dollar Shave Club, or have they been uh, paid for that? But it's uh, unfortunately I haven't been paid to uh, tell you how good that podcast is, but it is worth you giving it a listen. Add it to your roster. Of, there's many, many choices of podcasts out there, but... Uh, if you're looking for a smile and a giggle about some uh, some WCW nonsense, there you men. There we go. Do you agree, Paul? Yeah, of course I do. I think there it's a great podcast um, with two decent blokes. Well worth a listen. Liar! You absolutely furious that Dean came on the show a couple of weeks ago and was brilliant. So you don't you, <laughs> you, don't, you don't you don't mean any of that. You're just happy that podcast exists, so I can't get rid of you and replace you with Dean on a longer term basis. But there you go. You're stuck with me, my friend, for the foreseeable. Yes, yes, aren't I just? Anyway, the foreseeable is in the next few days. So uh, me and Paul will be back together before next Sunday's pay-per-view, as we said. But in the meantime, uh, thank you for your support of Hooked on Wrestling. Uh, We appreciate you listening to this podcast and indeed spreading the how gospel. Uh, Please tell all your friends uh, about us in terms of our show and indeed our live efforts. We want to see you at Survivor Series, and if not Survivor Series, at the Royal Rumble. But for now, for myself and Paul, just remember, it's wrestling. Enjoy it. We'll see you very soon.